If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, today Rado talks through episode 18 of the podcast, The Return to Normalcy. After several months of big previews for Gen Con and Essen, only broken up by a 100% Q&A show which went off the rails because I ended up answering a lot of the same questions twice, hopefully... Hopefully we can get things back in order as we move forward. And that means it'll be a return of talking about new, exciting, upcoming games, revisiting top 10 topics. I've got quite a few that I have hit over the last few months. Got to talk a bit more about those. And then, as always, ending with a bunch of Q&A. First, board game related and then personal related. So people can get off the train early if they just don't want to hear about Jen's and my personal life. Okay, sound good? Right, um, before we get going, one thing to bear in mind, we have a brand new lovely puppy dog. She's just a bit more than a year old. Her name is Daisy, and she really feels it's her job to protect us from any and all encroachers that might be coming through our front big bay window. So you might hear in the back might hear her in the background barking every once in a while. Um, I know during the Q&A, which I've already recorded now, she really got a little carried away, so apologies for that in advance. But, oh man, there's even more big mishaps aplenty awaiting you. We, we had mic problems. We had so many, but you know, for now, let's just see if I can get through the main portions of this podcast without too much drama. So hold on, folks. I'm going to be right back. Okay, and like usual, we are going to start with games I've recently discovered that I am excited to learn more about, which, of course, this part of the podcast is just a companion to my constantly updated geek list on BoardGameGeek. So you don't have to wait for me to talk about it here, but maybe that's what some of you are going to do. So let's get right into it, starting with Jump Drive from Rio Grande Games and designer Thomas Lehman. This is apparently, according to the description here, a standalone, faster, lighter, more streamlined version of Race for the Galaxy. And now that's just kind of wacky in and of itself. Seems to be kind of coming out of left field. I mean, who, who knew that uh, the world was crying out for a lighter, more streamlined Race for the Galaxy? Because Race for the Galaxy is already a very clean, streamlined game. But, of course, it is famous for its crazy obfuscation with with iconography and whatnot. So, maybe this is the game that um, gives all the great Race for the Galaxy feel while addressing some of the shortcomings. I'm certainly excited to try it. I mean, I have to admit, in the Race for the Galaxy versus San Juan debate of the ages, I have always erred to the side of San Juan. So, I'm wondering... Is this going to be a San Juan killer? That's a pretty big deal if it is. Jump Drive, supposedly it's going to be out by the end of the year. Um, so I can't wait to find out more. And now let us move on to another game from Rio Grande. They are also hoping by the end of the year to bring out Temporum Alternate Realities, which is absolutely fantastic news because, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I was the only guy who really dug Temporum, which was a 
time travel manipulating the time stream type game from designer Donald X. Vaccarino, he of Dominion fame. And I've already done a run-through for Temporum. It's a really, really cool game where you are traveling back and forth in time and changing the timeline so that all of human history changes to try and take advantage of that. To um, It's a really, really clever game. Sharp, fun, fast. We really liked it. And I'm glad to see that it's going to be getting some expansion content because it could certainly use a lot more. Seems like like all of Donald X. Vaccarino games, it's very, very expandable. And um, I'm, I, for one, maybe the only one, am super stoked to eventually check out Temporum Alternate Realities. Then we move on to, well, this is a heartbreaker, A Dog's Life. Um, I don't understand what happened here. Uh, if you remember my last podcast... That was me talking about all the games that were going to be at Essen based on Eric Martin's excellent Essen Spiel 2016 preview geek list, which, you know, had, gosh, did it have over a thousand games on it? It should have been pretty thorough. And yet somehow, A Dog's Life was not on that geek list. Um, ADC Backfire Entertainment and Beton Games could not be bothered to tell Eric that Dog's Life was going to be at the show. And I complain about this because if I had known, you better believe I would have checked it out. This is a Euro-style game from um, Christoph Bollinger, the designer of Archipelago and Dungeon Pets. Um, and it's a it's a dog simulation where dogs, you know, they beg in restaurants, they search through trash, they drink from fountains, they, um, they hide from the dog catcher. All these kinds of dog life type things, and, you know, from one of the most far-out Euro designers working today. He always comes up with really cool mechanisms, and this game was at Essen. You could have, I could have bought it if I'd known it was there, but for some reason, the publisher, it was the best-kept secret of Essen, and so I missed it. So I'm still interested. I still want to know more. Kind of wish I'd known it was at Essen, but for whatever reason, the publishers just couldn't be bothered to drop an email to let the world know ahead of time. So... C'est la vie. I guess I'll look for it in the future. Um, a dog's life. Then we've got the Stygian Society. Now, to be fair, this officially is going to be coming out in 2017, not 2016. But it's from Ape Games, and they have definitely been ready to do Kickstarter campaigns in the past. So I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up on Kickstarter before the year is out. Who knows? We'll see. But... I don't know. I'm just happy to talk about it anyway because it's really, really cool. Uh, it is basically a, it's a it's a cooperative dungeon crawl where um, instead of rolling dice to deal with all the combat, it uses a cube tower. And if you may recall my run through for Amerigo, Jen loves the cube tower. She wants to marry the cube tower. The cube tower is the coolest thing she's ever seen in board gaming. And of course, you know, the cube tower goes back beyond America, you know, prior to Amerigo with Shogun and Wallenstein. So finally, this is the fourth game to come out really leveraging the cube tower to do something interesting with it. So I am super duper stoked to see what it works like. It's um, from Kevin Wilson. I have to admit, I mean, you know, his games have always been a little bit too much on the Ameritrashy side for me. But, you know, the fact that he's kind of willing to forego dice to come up with this completely different um, gameplay mechanism to you know monitor combat in a dungeon. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of art. There's a few pictures. It looks like it's going to be a very bright, cartoony-looking game from artist Jackie Davis, who has done some really nice art on a lot of other games. I mean, Kevin Wilson, even though he hasn't always done the type of game I like, he's definitely a solid, well-respected designer. And it's a cube tower! It's a cube tower co-op dungeon crawl. Oh my gosh, must-has. The Stygian Society. Then we've got Skyways. And this is from Eagle Griffin Games and designer Jeffrey um, uh, 
Jeffrey Allers, who uh, you know is a really uh, lovely designer. I've really loved a lot of his games. Leah Octes, now Order of the Gilded Compass, and oh, what else? Um, oh, New Amsterdam and Citrus. So I really like. Jeffrey's Games. This is his latest one. It is a city-building game where you are building outwards and upwards. I love it when they bring the 3D into board games. And um, it should be really, really cool. Great designer, great theme, great concept. It's from um, Eagle Griffin. And it was actually, interestingly, on Kickstarter, I guess a month ago. And it failed to hit its Kickstarter goals, which was surprising in and of itself. But I was actually, I have to admit, at the time, I was really kind of bummed because I wanted to do a run-through of a prototype. But for whatever reason, they just didn't send me a prototype. They sent it to a bunch of other uh, uh, people instead, and they filmed it. And I was like, send it to me. I want to do a run-through for this thing. And now I guess it is going to be going on Kickstarter. And I'm still hoping, you know, they, they've cut. I, I think they're going to send me a prototype of this, so I think I'll be doing a run through of it. But I'm really not quite sure. Time will tell. But regardless, I'm definitely interested in learning more, um, you know, and checking out Jeffrey Aller's latest Skyways. Then we go on to, oh, this one. Um, you know, sorry, I'm a little late, uh, folks. I should have talked about this a couple of months ago because it, it's Kickstarter has already come and gone. So you've missed your window. Um, but I don't know, maybe you'll be able to pick it up down the road. Maybe I will as well, because I'm certainly interested in it. It's called Zombies Run, the board game. Now, this is based on a hugely popular digital smartphone app that basically you use if you're a runner that turns your jog into a, a, a survival horror game where you're running from point, where you're, you're listening to reports from your uh, handler who's telling you you have to run through the zombie apocalypse wasteland and reach certain locations and do certain objectives. And, and, you know, the objectives, I guess, are kind of tied to actually exercising and getting a good run and getting good, you know, uh, know, getting fit and in shape and all that. Um, But you're listening to all these dramatic narratives and there's characters and they die and sometimes you have to run really fast because you're being chased by zombies and then you can slow down. So, I mean, the base game, you know, that's available for on an app Already sounded super cool. I mean, I'm not going to say it sounds cool enough for me to go jogging. Don't get me wrong. That's crazy talk. Although, actually, now that I think about it... Well, anyway, though, that's a whole other story. So anyway, that's already cool. It's a hugely popular. It's a, it's kind of a super phenomenon. A lot of people are doing it. And now the same developers of that have taken all the work and love, uh, the story crafting and all that they did for the original digital app, and they're making a board game out of it. And I gotta say, this sounds like a really, really cool board game to me. Um, because it's cooperative. It's real time. It, um, basically, the, the, the way the world is set up, it's kind of, it basically creates, every time you play, um, a new, different, randomly generated narrative that you play through. Uh, you know, it's, it's equally focused on the strategy of trying to stay alive, but also trying to tell you interesting stories. And the whole thing is app driven. So, as you're playing, in the same way that when you play the real life jogging game and you get to listen to all these reports from professional actors that really kind of pull you into the world, they've taken all that stuff and they've applied it to the board game as well. So instead of running through the real world, you're running through this board game. That's awesome to me. I am super stoked and excited about this thing. I And again, this is another one where, man, I wish they would have contacted me. I would have loved to have done a run-through of a prototype of this for the Kickstarter campaign. But I, honestly, I, I think they'd never heard of me before. But say la vie, I'm still stoked about it anyway. Zombies Run, 
the board game. Then we move on to Shadow Rift Skittering Darkness, another expansion for Shadow Rift. Now, I actually backed. Shadow Rift is one of the uh, last games I've actually backed on Kickstarter because I just can't keep backing Kickstarter games. It's, it's too crazy. Um, just too many games. But I did back Shadow Rift 2nd Edition because I loved the original edition so much. Really was excited about it. And um, I haven't gotten my copy yet. I guess not everybody in Europe has. All everybody else has. I guess there's some problems with a couple of the cards had misprints, but they're sending out replacements and, and stuff like that. I'm not really quite sure what, but I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Shadow Rift was an awesome game. Absolutely adored it. A great, great cooperative fantasy save the town deck builder with a lot of really cool systems that to this day really haven't been touched. And so the fact that the new one's coming out and that more expansion content is coming is just good news for me. So I am excited about Shadow Rift Skittering Darkness, the expansion. Then I don't remember if I talked about this in the previous podcast. I think I might have. I might have talked about it in the Essen one, but I'll mention it again just in passing. I am counting the seconds until I can get my Dominion update pack. Uh, because, I don't know why, I haven't even looked into what's available with this, but there, um, you know, I guess Dominion is getting a new re-release, some of the stuff is tweaked, some cards have been removed, new cards have been added, and if you're like me and you've got the original version of Dominion, you can get this update pack for base Dominion and for Intrigue. And here's the thing. The only thing that's preventing me from doing my Dominion run-through, because I have 100% Dominion, and it'd be a, a run-through of everything, talking about every expansion, everything that's ever come out. The only thing that's holding me up is getting the Dominion update packs. Where are they? Why can't I get them here? Uh, well, I know why, because Rio Grande never really sends me review copies of anything, so i got to go out and find it myself. But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. That's the Dominion update packs. Then we've got um, of Anduin... First City of the West. This is very, very cool to me. It is a fantasy city-building game, which is really kind of a, a nice change of pace because we've had such a huge explosion over the last few years of modern world city-building games. You know, your subdivisions, your suburbias, your between-two-cities, your quadropolises. There are so many modern city-building games that have come out. The, the Capitals, I mean, tons of them. And they're all really good, our urban sprawl. But I love the idea of a fantasy city instead of a modern-day city, with still all the main things you have to worry about, trying to build this city up and expand and make sure everybody's needs are met, while also being in a fantasy kingdom where you might be overrun by goblins and dragons and stuff like that. That sounds really, really cool. What's even cooler about this, it, it's interesting to me, is this is actually a re-implementation of City Council, which is one of the many um, modern-day city-building games that have come out over the last few years. And it's one that Jen and I enjoyed quite a bit because it was really unique from all the other ones because it featured a lot of player negotiation. And what was interesting is, player negotiation is generally something Jen doesn't like, but we both really liked City Council. So taking the same ideas that were in that game, but then applying them to Anduin, this fantasy city, um, I mean, I, it's just super-duper exciting. I, I, I cannot wait to find out more about it. I also wonder, I mean, is this thing tied to Lord of the Rings? Because Anduin sure sounds like, in the back of my mind, it really feels kind of Tolkien-y. I'm not really quite sure. My understanding is it's going to be on Kickstarter before the end of the year, so I'm looking forward to finding out more about Anduin, city of the first city of the West. And then the last new thing I've got to talk about today is tribes, um, which is uh, actually. I got to see a prototype of this at Essen, and it really, really struck a chord with me. Uh, this is from the designer of Nations and Nations of the Dice Game, and 
the way he pitched it to me, this is almost kind of a prequel to Nations. Nations is, of course, you know, it's a really wonderful civilization building game, you know, tracking the, uh, you know, the, the development of, of human society from antiquities to modern era. Um, Tribes is set prior to antiquities, as we're working our way out of the Stone Age and all of that. And it struck me as a very, very cool game. The The central element of it is, it's a tech tree-driven game, but every time you play, it's a randomly generated tech tree that we are all players are going to be trying to navigate. So, um, you know, d- different breakthroughs and technologies lead to different ones, but it's not the same tech tree every single time you play. Just that, in and of itself, is so very, very cool. Um, but there were a lot lot of other really, really neat elements. Another thing that it, borrow, it has is it borrows the system from Small World, the, the action drafting system. Well, in Small World, it was... Um, if, if you wanted a particular type of creature that was going to be your new unit, you passed over other creatures, and by pa- skipping over certain creatures to get the one you really wanted, those other creatures slowly become more valuable. This game is doing that same thing with its action selection. There's several different action cards that are available, and if you want a certain action, you skip over a bunch of other ones, the other ones become more valuable. So sooner or later, somebody's got to take them, whether they're good or not. Um, so, this really co- I mean, that, that is a system from Small World that I absolutely adored. It was so great, I almost put it into the last video game I ever worked on. I love that idea so much. And that combined with something I've never seen before. A randomly generated tech tree. So clever. So smart. And that and then all that from the designer of Nations, which is still in my top 10 games of all time, means Tribes, is very, very high on my must-play list. And that's it, folks. It's been a while, but there's a small spattering of new and exciting games I've heard of that'll be uh, coming soon. So, we got that out of the way. Now, let's go talk Top 10. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, let's continue now and talk about some long-overlooked Top 10s. Oh my gosh, I did not realize it has been so long since I've done a Top 10 Revisit Recap kind of thing. I am way behind. I've got five lists to talk about. Specifically, what were they? Um... Tile lane games, games I want to play more, pirate games, um, games I got rid of, and games that Jen and I disagree on. I'm like, ah, okay. Well, you know what? I think five is a bit too much to bite off right now, so I'm going to do three of those. I'll do the three that have been longest waiting. Um, tile lane, uh, ones I want to play more, and pirate games. And then in next month's, I'll catch the rest of the way up by revisiting games I got rid of, games Jen and I disagree on, and the uh, new topic of the month, whatever that might be. Sound good? Right then, let's start with top 10 tile lane games. And, let's see, of all the feedback I got on that top 10, probably by far the number one response was, where is Castles of Mad King Ludwig? Mad King Ludwig, I mean, mean, just... Everywhere, on YouTube, on BoardGameGeek, on Reddit, I just got drowned in a sea of Ludwig love. Everybody just wanted to see me put that on my top ten. And I'm sorry, folks, I just can't. And there's two main reasons. One, well, is the very direct thing is, 
you know, th- I've got some problems with the game. I already talked about it in my original run-through. As a two-player game, there's some weird, unbalanced stuff that I'm just not a big fan of. And the expansion didn't really fix it. I'm talking specifically about how the objectives work and how they're way too luck-dependent. It seems like they're more focused on a higher player count so you have a better shot at actually getting all these objectives done. You can get really screwed over by them. Plus, it's a crazy AP-heavy game. Much more so than its you know sister product, Suburbia, with the whole, um, you know, I decide how much things cost, and then you have to choose how much you're going to pay. That first part, deciding, that's, that's tough. That is tough stuff, and it really drags Den down. So, I mean, right off the bat, those are some things that, don't get me wrong, I love the game. It's definitely a keeper, but it, you know, it kind of keeps it from being in the upper echelon of my favorite tile layers. But then the other thing, and this is the thing people really had a hard time with, or really just fundamentally refuse to accept, I've found, it just doesn't feel like a tile-laying game to me. And now this is a very touchy-feely thing, but to me, it's not a tile-laying game if the tiles themselves... I'm sorry, it's silly, and you know, it's fine. I'm not adhering to the letter of the law in terms of definitions. This is my own personal what feels like tile-laying to me. It doesn't feel like tile-laying because all the pieces are all kinds of weird, funky, crazy shapes. And... You know, look at the tiles in your kitchen floor. They're uniform. They're not just a bunch of weird mishmash jigsaw stuff. It's a jigsaw puzzle game. It's not a tile lane game. Those aren't tiles. It's a, it's a castle building simulation. It just doesn't feel like I'm laying tiles in the same way that Carcassonne does or a million other tile lane games. And, you know, I, I will admittedly, happily, you know, uh, uh, humbly agree that yes, according to the letter of law, it is a tile lane game. Just not for me. Uh, it just uh, it feels like something different. Don't get me wrong. That's a good thing. I think it's great that I mean that's one of the reasons I love the game so much is that it, it kind of eschews the rules of what a typical tile layer should be. But to me, so much so that it doesn't really feel like a tile layer anymore. It feels like a castle builder, which to me is a very very different thing. Um, there's a lot. All right, but anyway, so that wasn't on the list for that one. Another very common. Hey, what about would have to be for key flower? And now that one. Okay, fair enough. Those are tiles. Those are uniform tiles. And you spend a lot of time and focus on laying those tiles. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, if I had to classify Keyflower as one genre, it would not be tile laying. It would be auction. That is, first and foremost, in its heart of hearts, an auction game. Second of all, in its heart of hearts, it is a worker placement game. Third of all, and it's still an important part of the game, but it's third on the list of what makes Keyflower great is the tiling. The tiling is wonderful. The you know the puzzle of trying to get all those roads to interlock so that the fourth part, the pick up and deliver, works well. I mean, it, it's absolutely phenomenal. But still, I you know I I don't I don't look at Keyflower and say, oh yeah, that's a tiling game. No, it's an auction game. I look at Carcassonne that or Carcassonne Castle, which I did put on the list. That's a tiling game. To me, Keyflower is not. That's why it's not on the list. It's in my top ten games of all time but not my top 10 tile layers. Um, if I do a top 10 auctions, it'll be in that one. But again, I mean, you know, and I, gosh, it wasn't in my top 10 worker placement games. I think it might have been. But it, you know, on its list of all the wonderful things it does, tiling is just a little bit too far down to make it onto my top 10 tile layers. So that's where, why it was MIA. Um, also, people asked about Expedition Northwest Passage. That's a brilliant game. Absolutely love it to tears. But... That one, oh man, that is just so tense. That's, I think, the biggest problem. And, I mean, that game can... You can really take steps to really kind of screw your opponent over. It's a little bit, maybe, a bit too harsh and confrontational. 
So much so that I've actually, um, you know, traded it away now. Um, just because I loved it. It was brilliant, but just too in your face and so tense. Too tense. Oh, but brilliant. Lovely game. Uh, Karuba. Yeah. Maybe. With more play, that would have made it on the list. But, you know, I just didn't keep it around because I already have too many bingo-style games anyway. Um, other games, though, that could have made it onto the list, that just missed it, just by a smidge. And some people asked about these. Um, you know, Sansuchi, Sealand, Vikings, Walnut Grove, Palmyra. Those are all wonderful Thailand games that was really close to putting all of them on the list. You know, but I mean, we're, I'm, I'm right now. I'm talking about my, my my 11 to my 16, or give or take. Oh, one other one, another very very common. Hey, what about X? Castles of Burgundy, and I totally get why people would say that. Um, but again, this comes back to strictly speaking. Uh, if you want to get technical, yes. You lay tiles on the board, but that's not, that is not what the game is about. That game is about using those dice to acquire resources and then deploy those resources. Yes, you are, la- you, the resource deployment is through laying tiles, but the lay, the l- tile laying is a very small portion of the game because it's the dice. The dice are what I'm using to put those tiles. So it's about the dice. It's not about the tile. This is not a game where you really have to think about, oh, should I put my tile here, here, or here? There's a little bit of that as you're trying to spread across your board to give yourself access to other stuff. Kind of like, you know, uh, Kingdom Builder. But, um, I mean, heck, I, I, you know, why not call Kingdom Builder a tile layer game? It's just that the tiles aren't very flat. They're houses. It's, it's, it, that's a, it's a different thing. And to me, um, Castles and Burgundy, it's all about the dice. It's all about that sweet, sweet puzzle of how do I use this six? I could use it over here to claim this thing. I could use it over here to build this thing. I could use it over, you know, I mean, but, or I could turn it into something else. The, the tile laying itself is definitely secondary. So that's why that wasn't on my list. So anyway, so that, those are a, a few additional extra thoughts and, and some near misses of some other really, really wonderful tile laying games. So that was revisiting that topic. Then we also had, oh, what were the other topics? Oh, top 10 pirate games. You know, this one's really simple. In all honesty, I mean, I only did this particular top 10 because of the international play like a pirate day. I really wanted to jump in on that. So I was already kind of stretching it a little bit. Several of the games on that top 10 I don't own because I like them, but not enough to keep them. But I did want to have a full and complete list of 10 uh, titles. So, um, you know, I was already, you know, I mean, don't go They're all good games, but I don't really have any additional ones to add, is what I'm saying. I don't have an 11 and a 12 and a 13, because I was kind of stretching it to get to that 10, that 9, that 8, that 7, etc., etc. And I talked about that in the, in the video itself, that, you know, a lot of these games weren't ones we were kept. I mean, it was only the top end of those. But what was really funny to me is I made it very, very clear right at the beginning of that video look, for me, a pirate game that I want to play has to stay away from some certain pirate staples, like cutthroat player interaction. Um, and it's funny to me, so many people kept saying, what about Litertalia? What about Rum and Bones? What about Merchants and Marauders? And a bunch of other pirate games out there. And it's like every single time, if you watch the video instead of just look at the list, this is a problem I run into all the time. So often, I, I don't know if it's a mistake for me to actually, when I post my top 10 list, to actually put in the... Um, in the show notes, hey, here's the list. So you don't have to watch the video if you don't want to. You can just see what the list is. But because I do that, I just get buried every month under a bunch of uh, responses where my only response is, did you watch the video? 
If you watch the video, you'd know why Libertalia is not in my top 10 pirate games. Heck, if you watch my run-through of Libertalia, you'd know why Libertalia is not in my... And not that it's a, it's a brilliant game. It's just so totally not for me and Jen. It's way too mean. So, I mean, it was really funny. Pirate, the pirate top 10 really brought a lot of that out everywhere. It was just so obvious that so many people were literally just responding to the printed list and not actually watching the video at all. It was very eye-opening, in fact. But, you know, it is what it is. I could stop putting those on there, but the reason I do it is because if I don't do it, somebody else will. And I'm just trying to save them the trouble, really. Um, but anyway, the last top ten to talk about, and then, like I said, I'll ca- catch up with the other ones next month, was a really heartbreaking one. Um, the top ten games I wish we could play more. And um, here's the thing. Making that list, getting it down to 10 was incredibly hard because I wanted to play all these games so much. There were an additional 15 that I was considering that I had to jettison. All of these 15 were practically tied for number 11 on my list of wish games I wish I could play more. So I'm going to tell you what they are. These are in no particular order at all. Because like I said, they are all tied for my number 11 spot. I could have easily made these ones I'm about to tell you my top 10. I want to play all these so much, and it's so very sad. But I just want to give shout-outs and props to them. Um, what am I talking about? I'm talking about automobiles. Um, I think... Uh, Every one of these I've done a run-through for, so I'm not going to spend much time talking about it. But Automobiles, such a lovely bag builder. It works so nicely. It's amazing that we like it in spite of the NASCAR or Formula One racing theme. Uh, that should be a killer for us, but we like it a lot. Above and below, so beautiful. I, I, this one, I bet you, would be in Jen's top ten ones that she wishes. I mean, she's, she's nodding yes over there as she's trying to fight off beagles that are trying to snag food out of her hands. Oh, we're surrounded by wild dogs here. Above and below, so beautiful. Wish we had time to play it. Um, by the way, if I had it, I would put Islebound on the list as well. This, um, this, and by the way, this is a list of 15 more from a few months ago. Every month, more games get added on this list. But anyway, uh, Gallerist. Man, man, oh, such a beautiful game. Uh, maybe Vito Lasard is best, but... Criminal that we don't play it more often. Lagranja, um, lovely, lovely game. At least now I've got Lagranja the dice game, so I can get a taste of it. In a, I have a better chance of getting that to the table than Lagranja, but I wish we could get more time with that wonderful farming sim with the best use of the best implementation of multi-use cards I've ever seen. Kanban. Vito Lasarda again. Oh, why do you make your games so heavy and long that we never get a chance to play them? Such a wonderful, intricate clockwork puzzle of automobile development. Beautiful, brilliant design. A Viceroy, such a clever, neat thing. That building, um, that card draft. I know a lot of people have a problem with Viceroy. I, I get it, and you'll, I've only played as two players, so I, I guess at higher player counts, the kind of semi-cooperative auction that goes on at the beginning of a round, maybe that's a bit more problematic. For me and Jen, as a two-player game, it was no problem at all, and we love, love, love the pyramid building of that game so much. It's so beautiful and brilliant. Um, I mean, I'm very, very sad we don't get to play it more. A Battle at Kemble's Cascade, such a charming, lovely little game, particularly after I came up with my own variant to make it a friendly version of the game, with the way it should be. But it's just so atmospheric and just fast-playing, and just the, the epitome of fun. It just wants you to smile. Um, then we got Kashgar, such a brilliant deck builder where you're building three decks at the same time. It doesn't get much better than that. Man, I wish, you know, I mean, and what's even cooler is it's such a great travel game because a fan of Rotto Runs Through went and made me a professionally designed portable version. Um, you know, I mean, 
Kashgar is basically just a big deck of cards, uh, these big cards here. Uh, and, but then it's got all these other pieces that make it a big full game that you keep track of all your resources and whatnot. A fan of mine actually made me a nice little portable um, travel kit. So I just need, it's just a deck of cards and I can take it anywhere. But we never go anywhere. Um, but you know, maybe it'll make it onto my next travel adventure. Who knows? But it's such a brilliant game. Then you got Palaces Carrara, probably Kramer and Kiesling's best game to date. And with all the replayability of that game, with the randomly chosen objectives, it's so brilliant. It's such criminal shame we don't play it more. And um, oh, Miramis, I talked about this a lot in the past. It's made several of my top tens, even though we haven't played it for years. But I remember how much we did love it. This is one of the games that we actually own. Before I was doing Rado runs through full time, so we got to play it a lot. But I wish we could play it more. Uh, such a brilliant, just brutal, brutal worker placement game. It's so smart. Um, Milestones, lovely, charming game where you get to build your own rondelle and run it to the best of your ability. So smart. Such a brilliant puzzle. I think that I think uh, Milestones made my top ten most overlooked games, and it's extra sad that it's overlooked by me too because I want to play it more. Uh, Yido. Man, oh, that's such an awesome worker placement game. You know, what's it? Lords of Waterdeep on steroids. But it's a big, long beast, and we just don't have the time to do it. Although it's so pretty, so gorgeous, so well designed. Then you got Shadow Rift, which actually might be replaced these days by Aeon's End. I haven't even gotten my new second edition printing of Shadow Rift yet. But I had my original one. Oh, man, it's such a good game. Maybe, well, I, at least I'll get to play it a little bit because when the new version comes, it'll have an expansion, so I'll have an excuse to play it so I can do run through the expansion. At least I got that going for me. Such a cool co-op fantasy deck builder, Shadow Rift. And Predaporter, actually, at Essen, I finally got rid of my copy because I know the vi- they're working on the video game re-theme of it. And I, it's not like I was playing it anyway, because I want to play it more. I just never got a chance to. Such a brilliant worker placement game. Such a wonderful economic simulation. I think I put in my top ten economic simulations. Love that game to death. So pretty. Had really poorly written rules. Fair enough. But once you got past that, it was really, really great. But here's the re- thing. I got rid of it because... Um, I actually, at Essen this year, sat down for almost an hour with the gang from Portal, and we got about halfway through retheming Pret to work with the new video game retheme, and I had a blast. I, it was a shame we ran out of time. But Portal, my schedule is open. I will happily Skype with you and finish the job we started, because it's going to be awesome. I'm so excited about it. Uh, and then the last one on my list, maybe the saddest of all. Like I said, oh, I... I then, these would all tie for 11. This one, the only reason it didn't make the actual 10, is because, to be fair, we have played this a lot. We have played this dozens and dozens of times. Dominion. But even still, I want to play dozens more because there's so much expansion content. We have barely scratched the surface of that game. It has so much to give, and I want to take more. So, those were an additional 15 games that I wish I could play more. But like I said, that was from a few months ago. If I did it now, I'd have another 5 or 10 that are heartbreaking. But such is my lot in life. Again, the world's smallest violin plays for me. And that's it, folks. There was a quick um, update on some of those top 10s. And now, the moment some of you, but not all of you, have been waiting for, let's move on to the remainder of our podcast, which will be a very, no doubt, long Q&A. Hold on, everybody. Oh, 
Okay, everybody. And finally, it is time for questions and answers. And like always, it's going to be in two halves. First, we're going to do the board game related topics because supposedly this is a podcast about board games. And then after that, for the second half, we will answer all the questions that people want to know about Jen's and my personal life <laughs> for whatever reason. And uh, Jen is joining me now. Hi, honey pie. Hello, my love. Yes, Jen got to take a month off because last month it was my special Essence Spiel preview, so she wasn't there for that. And as a result of taking a month off, there's going to be, well, quite a few Qs, and hopefully we'll be able to hand out a few A's. Lots of A's. Lots of A's. Although it'll be tough going for Jen in this first half because, well... (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll see what Jen has to say on uh, this variety of board game talkers. And this is going to be actually pretty tough for me as well because we are flying interlet, internet-less at the moment. <laughs> it's ah! a, One of the downsides of living in Gozo is the internet is often offline for extended periods of time. And we don't know when it's going to come back. And since I... So, uh, I'm just... Ah! I don't know what to do with myself without the internet. It's going to be very difficult. Well, you have to answer some cues. I, well, to yes, the best but of your ability. how can I look things up? I don't. My brain is Swiss cheese. Well, you might have to make another folder of things to answer when we get the internet back. <laughs> well, we'll see. All righty, so let's get right to it, starting with Chris, who wants to know, um, what suggestions I have made to board game designers that were then incorporated into the final versions of games that I am most proud of? Because as Chris points out... Uh, Fear not! <laughs> that's the one that's most important to me. Okay. Well, we didn't make that suggestion. Or did we? Um, no, we didn't. No, 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 no. Yes, we did. Jen is referring to the fact that in the game Heroes Wanted, there is a superhero card themed after her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, uh, kind of, she's kind of a Mysterio glass globe over her head kind of thing. Yep. and uh, in the fishbowl. Yeah, yeah, head in the fishbowl. And uh, Jen just loves that her catchphrase, her superhero catchphrase is, Sphere not! Sphere not! Because she's got a sphere on her head. The reason it's a sphere is because, of course, Jen's a glass artist and they were trying to come up with something. But and we don't, I don't think we had any we had feedback no on that at all. We were no. just pleased with what they came up with. Yeah, well, Sphere not. I mean, that's it's, great. It, yes, it is awesome. But uh, Chris is mostly talking about the fact that, well... A lot of times when we do run-throughs for Kickstarter games, we're seeing them early, and I give feedback and suggestions to publishers, and a lot of times. I mean, in all honesty, Chris, this is this is going to be a tough question to answer without the internet, because I would need to go and look at a list of all the Kickstarter run-throughs I've done and uh, take note of the ones where people have actually implemented the changes I've made, but I can't do that, so... The first one that pops into mind, which I guess therefore means it's the most impactful one, right? Yes. Would probably be Islebound from Ryan Lockett, where in that one I complained about how while it was a very, very cool game and had a lot of really neat stuff going on, the two-player version, the board was just way too loose. Uh, you know, I mean, a big part of the game was, with more players, not being able to sail where you wanted to go because other players were blocking that space. But in two-player game, the map... The, the archipelago map didn't shrink down at all, so it was very easy for players to get wherever they needed to go. And I had just mentioned in passing that, well, why didn't they do a thing, um, you know, that rather than a player just occupying the one space they're in, they occupy the entire tile that they're in. So that, you know, they gobble up the space of 
three ships instead of one. That would tighten the board up quite a bit. It would be much more like playing with more players. And while I have not played it, my understanding is Ryan Lockett pretty much implemented that in the final version of the game. And I've heard from Amina's Fresh Cardboard that it makes a huge improvement to the game. And uh, so that's the one I think I'm going to go with, Islebound. Hey, Although I've got one. Apparently, Jen can think of one, too. I got one. What? You just told me yesterday, because we were playing Legacy with our friends from England. Yes. That you yes. talked to Matt Laycock in passing, and you said, hey, you know, you're going to make Legacy <laughs> two-player friendly, aren't you? It's going to be really good for two players. And Matt was like, huh? I, I, uh, well, uh, and then he went away, and he made it so. Now, I don't know that that's, Jen is. Uh, paraphrasing. Paraphrasing. That's not exactly what happened. I'm not saying I had any impact on that whatsoever. I would not assume I did. I just mentioned to Matt Leacock, the designer of Pandemic, at a convention I ran into, something like, hey, Pandemic Legacy is going to work great for two, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're not forsaking me uh, because we couldn't play Risk Legacy because it was only a three-player minimum game, and I really want to experience this. And I was actually genuinely surprised. He said, well, yeah, you know. And he kind of hesitated a little bit. I'm like, dude! Come on! I would have been like, dude! 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 And he said, no, 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 don't worry about it. And uh, and then, of course, you know, Legacy turned out to be a very, very good two... Pandemic Legacy was a good two-player game. Although, Jen I, we've been playing over the course of the last year. Mm-hmm. We've almost finished. We're playing our second run-through of a full ga- version of Legacy with a couple of friends of ours. We're playing four-player. Yep. I would definitely say it's better with more players than it is with two. We really loved it as a two-player game, but it has been a lot more fun. And it's obvious that I think they put a lot more love and attention and focus of their design into the higher player count. Because we found as a two-player game, it was way too easy. It was like a cakewalk. And we still loved it, but I don't think it was as well-balanced for two as it could have been. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, I subsequently ran into Matt Leacock after Legacy came, at Pandemic Legacy came, and he mentioned to me, um, yeah, you know, thanks for uh, pushing me on the two-player thing. And you know, I mean, So, again, I'm not saying that Pandemic Legacy would have been a minimum three-player game or not. I, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I wasn't even going to mention this, except Jen decided to bring it up. Hey, I finally had something to say about a game. But maybe, maybe I had some small impact there. I do not know. Um, but I do know, I'm pretty confident, Islebound. Well, actually, I can't even be sure of that, because I haven't actually seen the final version of Islebound. Actually, it's something that a lot of people don't realize. Well over half the games I do run-throughs for, of the Kickstarter prototypes, I never actually see the final game, because a lot of times publishers just don't send me one. I don't have a final copy of Islebound, so I don't know. But I've heard tell through the grapevine that the impact I had on that, which I'm pretty sure came from me, had a pretty big and very positive. So I'm going to stick with that one. I'm not going to say that I really had much impact on what is now widely considered the greatest board game in history. Pandemic Legacy. But thanks, Honey Pie, for thinking of me. That's very kind of you. So hopefully that answers the question, Chris. Moving on to Larry, who has a bunch of questions. Some of them board game related, some of them personal. Let's get going with the board game ones. Let's see. So um, he talks about how we've been married for 25 years. He wants to congratulate us. And You're talking we as in you and I. Yes, not Richard me and, and Larry. Jennifer. Larry and I have not... Well, or maybe Larry and Mrs. Larry. No, no, no. Uh, we're talking about us. And, you know, he talks about how he's had a hard time getting his spouse into, you know, share his love of the hobby and all that. But anyway, he mentions, at the time that you and I met in college and subsequently got married... Excuse you know what, folks? We're going to have to be back in a second. That's Daisy, uh, who is causing all kinds of grief. So hold on, Larry. 
Oh boy. All right. Well, uh, in case you, I don't know if you could hear in the background, folks, but that was Daisy, our new Beagle Bassett mutt, who has taken it upon herself at the ripe old age of one to be our protector and try and scare away anything she sees out the front window. And if we hadn't stopped, she would have happily barked forever. So, um, Jen's hopefully got her calmed down, although she's looking a little rambunctious over there. So I don't know how long we're going to get to go before we have to take another break. One-year-olds, what can you do? Anyway, so... Teenagers. Yeah. Larry basically asked, At the time we met in college and subsequently got married, we weren't playing board games. So, did it come as a surprise to each of us to discover that we have a love of board games in common? To what extent can we look back and identify traits and idiosyncrasies in each other that help bring together... Uh, or help bring us together that might have suggested a mutual appreciation of board games that was always there and yet untapped. Ow. Yes. So, I don't know, that's arguably kind of on a, the... Per, maybe that should go into the personal section, but what the heck, it's very board game related. Sure. And he's actually asking because I think he's looking for subtle clues and hints that might be able to help him in his relationship try and find some common ground, which is certainly a topic we've covered in the past on yeah. previous podcasts. But, yes, honey... Um, thinking back to our early 20s and the University the of Washington campus. Thing, yeah, this is that we enjoy each other's sense of humor. I okay. Think. Because otherwise, you can't have fun if you're not having fun. Mm-hmm. So I think we, we, we noticed that we had a compatible sense of humor pretty quickly. Yes. In fact, I think it might have been on the second class. We, we met in German class in the very first quarter that we were in, high, in college. German 102, yes. German 102, getting that uh, foreign language requirement out of the way. And uh, as we were exiting class, it was on the second story of the building, we were going down uh, to the first story, of course, and I said, huh, I wonder where these stairs go, because, you know, it was like the first class or two, and he said, down, and I broke up laughing, I just love that kind of stuff. My favorite clean joke is, what kind of uh, shoes does a French man wear? I'm, I'm afraid I can't answer that. Philippe Flops. Yes. So I love wordplay stuff. Anyway, so I think at that point I started falling in love. <laughs> well, this has definitely gone down the uh, personal deep side, but okay. So oh, Jen sure, points out compatible I... sense of humor. Yep. And you're saying that how somehow was an early indicator, indicator of our mutual love uh, or what would become our mutual love of board games? I don't know. That seems like a bit of a stretch. Um, no, I think it's the... Whatever you're doing, you can have fun because your sense of humor is compatible. Okay, fair Even enough. Even if you're descending stairs after German class. But that's, yeah, that's, so that'd be applying to everything, not just board games particularly. Um, you know, because we've enjoyed many things together. Geocaching, bike riding, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Scuba diving. Um, board game specific stuff. Uh, well, I mean, Jen, as unbeknownst to her, been a hardcore board game fanatic her entire life because... She is just a huge fan of efficiency, and she lives her life trying to ensure that everything she does is optimum peak efficient. Yeah. You know, she will never go to town unless she's got a list of three things that she can get done at the minimum, and she <laughs> knows full well the exact order she's going to do them in so she can accomplish it in the smallest time footprint. And using the least amount of petrol. Yes, exactly. So... You know, board games are, you know, it's, it, that's the way she's wired. And so, and not that she knew they existed, but they were always perfect for her. You know, a good, solid, economic Euro-style game. Me, I've just played games since I was f four, five. 
Uh, I've talked about that in the past too. My you know early experiences with Pong back in the '70s and how it was a transformative experience for me. So gaming has just always been a big part of my life. I don't think it was really that big a part of Jen's life. Well, I mean, you played games, but I mean it was never a big deal for you. No, I think right. actually I really enjoyed Pac-Man. Sure, and sure. Donkey Kong. But yeah, everybody played Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Space Invaders and Galaga and Centipede and yeah. all those. I mean, that was a national obsession. So anyway, I would not say, I mean, you were any more so than any other young girl your age at that time in American pop culture history. But yeah, I mean, they were always lying in wait for Jen, this notion of games where she can scratch her efficiency itch. itch. And me, I just love games. Beyond that, I don't know. Uh, if I And plus, yeah, we've definitely gone down into the deep end of this is on the personal side. So is there anything we can just say broadly um, that would be applicable to lots of people that could... You know, help Larry out in his quest to try and find some common ground with his spouse so she will play games, which is really the underlying question. Uh, I would just repeat my mantra about if you want to, you, if you want your woman to enjoy playing with you, you need to free Or your up, man. No, women. You need to free up some time and space in her life. Mm-hmm. And I think probably uh, 70% of the problems with women or playing games will be because they have got priorities that are other than gaming. And so if you can help them reduce some of those drains on their time and make gaming a fun perk, I think that will go a long way. Okay. Well, uh, question number two from Larry is, would Jen and I ever consider playing Scythe, since it feels very much like a Euro that can be played easily avoiding combat? And the answer to that is no. And the reason for that, actually, I get asked that question on such a wide variety of games so often, I have now added a whole new entry into my Frequently Asked Questions geek list, which you can find at faq.rado.com, where I, it's my, by far my longest entry talking about all the various subtleties and elements that conflict in gaming it, it, it you know affects me and Jen. So the answer to your question is no. Why? Check faq.rado.com. If you've got the internet. If you have the internet, unlike me. If I had it, I could look it up and tell you what question it is, but you'll find it without too much trouble. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I have always found it interesting that so many board game reviewers who produce videos like yourself, Tom, John, Paul, uh, etc., have very distinctive characteristics that would be uh, very easy for a talented impersonator to portray. I've wondered, has anyone ever impersonated you in the past, either as Rado or simply during your working life? And would you have found it flattering or would it have made you uneasy? Well, uh, yes, I know of two examples that you can go find on the YouTubes of people impersonating me, or rather my Rado persona, which is a very different beast than me, in all honesty. Um, one of them is... I forget what game... Oh, no, it was Copycat. Go do a <laughs> yeah. search on YouTube for um, M-I-W-I Copycat. MeWe. It's Michael Visner. He does a great run-through board game series. He does a much better job than me. He should have all of my viewers, quite frankly, because he doesn't make goofs. He actually edits his videos, if you can imagine such things. And he did a, a video of Copycat, and in his intro, he did impersonations of like four or five different people. He got dressed up like Tom Vassell. He did my first-person filming thing, showing my feet, which is something that used to happen back a lot <laughs> when I filmed on transparent glass tables. It was excellent. It was awesome. Definitely worth seeking out. It's a little out of date now because I don't film that way or quite the same way anymore. But it was great and I loved it. 
And, uh, and then also, uh, a few years ago at Gen Con, I was on a panel where we were playing a, a big, it's kind of a celebrity game of I Dark Overlord, celebrity by board game standards, where me and a bunch of other board game YouTube personalities all played I Dark Overlord with the audience being the Overlord. And, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, um, one of the panelists jumped in and did an impersonation of me doing a run-through that brought the house down. Uh, Anthony Riccano, uh, just, it, it, he just absolutely killed it. He was, it was absolutely hilarious, and I loved it. And so you can actually, if you're worried about me being uneasy, you can see me responding to it in that video. I, uh, he, just, he just nailed it. Uh, Anthony Riccano, a Cardboard Republic, I believe, is his podcast, um, although I listen to him more on the Weekly Album. Uh, he, uh, he just nailed it. He was absolutely... He also does an amazing uh, John Travolta, uh, as an aside. So, no, I, I f- there's a few examples of it, and I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was awesome. Let's see. And next up, I know that Paolo helps tremendously with your videos. Uh, do you have other folks who work behind the scenes? For example, who manages your website and content? Uh, it's just me. Just me and Paolo against the world. Pa- I, I, I pretty much do everything. And Paolo, the way that works is I put a video up, I, I post it, and then I tell him, hey, it's there. He goes and watches it, reads the rules, finds any goofs. He also it, it puts all the annotations in and uh, you know the links in the show notes and whatnot, but everything else I do. For a while, and I'm sorry, oh, I'm so sorry, I do not have the internet here, so I cannot look up your name. There was a really nice guy who was volunteering to do subtitles on some of my videos. You know, just kind of whenever it struck his fancy. Plus, there's a couple of deaf viewers who have made requests in the past and he was happy to go and do subtitles and oh i'm so sorry i can't remember your name because we haven't done it for like gosh it seems like a year so and i can't look it up right now but for a while he was helping out if anybody has any requests for any subtitles on any of my run-throughs let me know i will pass it along and maybe he's got time to do it but like i said he was just doing it for fun whereas paulo he's actually getting paid uh, he's kind of a uh, employee of mine um, to do all of the annotations and the rules checks and all that. But otherwise, it's 100% me. Alrighty, that was it for Larry. Now let's move on to David, who is wondering, would I ever consider filming a video of filming a run-through? You know, it could be a gem can for all intents and purposes. And yes, actually, I have. I have often considered that. And it is definitely on my list of things to do. It just never happens because nine times out of ten, while I'm filming a run-through, that's when Jen is in the back room making glass. Uh, that's how we kind of time it. If we're both out here, we're probably playing a game or watching a show or walking the dogs or, or you know, cruising the Internet. I mean, when I'm working, Jen is working. So the timing just never really seems to work out. But it is... Someday we'll get around to it, because I, I think it would be actually pretty cool. I think people would get a kick out of it. And let's see. That was it for David. Then, moving on to Stu. 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 Oh, and actually, I've already answered Stu's questions, because he sent these to me on uh, the 10th of September. Or, I'm sorry, the 11th of September. And it was a bunch of questions about Essen, and I knew I wasn't going to get his questions answered in podcast form in time. So, in a rare uh, response, I... I replied to him with my questions at Rado account, but I thought they were still good questions. So even though they're a bit late, they can be early questions for next year's Essen Spiel convention. And the first question was, is there anywhere other than the Mesa, which is the convention that Spiel's held out, that you can recommend in or around Essen? Answer, no. 
I have no idea whatsoever. We've been, I've been to Essen probably five times now. I think Jen's been four or three. Yeah, and the first time we went, we actually were in a car. You know, we took our bongo and we made a bit of a holiday out of it. So yeah, but we, we did. still didn't do anything in Essen no, at all. No, I know. We just basically were there for the show. Yeah, and every year since then, I, I go to the show and then I go back to where I'm sleeping. And so I, I'm afraid I cannot say anything. I'm sure Essen must be a wonderful town, but you'd be better off going to TripAdvisor. I'm sure they would give you better answers than we could. Let's see, honey, this one's for you. Is it more preferable as a seller for your customer to use cash or cards? Ooh, you mean like on Etsy or? No, at at the show. Oh, definitely cash because I didn't have any way to take cards. All right. Not that it matters, but next year you'll know. Yeah. Um, And actually, I mean, that's across the board. Credit cards are almost unheard of in Germany. They're, they're a very small percentage of people use them. Mm. Uh, and ev- almost, it's not just Jen. <clears throat> very few people take anything other than cash at Essen. Yep. Uh, you know, nobody has credit card scanners. I mean, because credit cards are just not a thing in Germany. So if you're going to Essen next year, you better bring a lot of cash. And believe me, bring cash. There is, as far as I know, only one or two cash machines at the entire convention. At any given time, once the thing is going, that thing has got a line of 50 people backed up trying to get cash. Yep. Or they run out of cash. Yeah. Because they've run out of cash and they're trying to get more. And so take lots of cash. But watch out. There are pickpockets and whatnot, uh, a prowl as well. And question number three, what is the easiest... What... Do I find is the easiest way to keep track of the currently, as of his writing, 596 different games on the Essen preview list of BoardGameGeek, um, especially since many of the items are just for demo and playtest. Well, I am so bummed that I cannot get on the internet right now. Oh, oh, whoops. It's actually Steve. It's not Stewie. I, oh, his V looked like a U. All right, Steve. Sorry, Steve. I cannot tell you um, because there is an awesome, awesome, awesome program that uh, some geek maintains. And by oh, geek, I, I cannot think geek. of what it's called at all. Um, but everybody knows about it. It's, it's a really great system where you can, you know, he, he basically just um, scrubs the geek list and converts it into an online database that people can check and track and sort and, um, you know, and get maps of where all their things are. It's absolutely amazing. Although I should say, I don't really use that until the very last second. Really what I do every year is I don't even look at, well, actually that's not true. Um, I make an RSS subscription to the geek list. And then I follow that on Outlook. So I never actually look at the geek list directly on BoardGameGeek because that's way too much of a pain. The subscription tool is awesome on BoardGameGeek except for geek list where it's completely useless. So I use an RSS feed instead. So it makes it very, very easy for me to keep track and keep up to date with everything that's being added as it goes uh, in the months leading up to the show. But then really just a week or a week and a half before the show, I sit down for a full day and I look at every single game on there by, you know, manually. And I go and I read a ton of rules that day and all of that. So I just do it the hard way. There's a really great shortcut for it. But again, I'm looking and our internet is still down. It's been down for two hours now. And so I cannot tell you what the answer to that question is. But, um, but you can find it on Geek, uh, on, on BoardGameGeek. Just go to the, on BoardGameGeek, go to forums. There's a subform devoted to Essen. And you can ask, hey, what's that really great tool that, uh, makes it, Easier to read. Uh, but anyway, that was it from Steve. Uh, day late and a dollar short. And now, moving on to Mark. 
who points out that he's seen me give some very emotional run-throughs. Uh, what typically triggers such a strong response during my play? Do I feel this adds or detracts from my enjoyment of the game? Well, you know, it's not just board games. I'm just a really emotional guy. I've had movie trailers make me cry, in all honesty. I mean, a, you know, a, a three-minute trailer done well can uh, get me to produce waterworks. So, you know, I mean, don't, you know, don't think board, you know, the board games I've cried about when I've done run-throughs for, like... Um, Freedom Underground Railroad or, oh gosh, um, Pandemic Legacy, Final Final Thoughts and whatnot. I mean, I'm just a very emotional guy. I, I, I really wear my heart close to my sleeve or pinned to my sleeve or whatever it is that hearts and sleeves do. <laughs> um, not my vest because that's where I put my cards. Uh, but whatever it is. Yeah, I wear my heart on my sleeve, I think is the, is the phrase there. And uh, yeah, it's just the way I am. I'm, I've, I, I, can just get, I can get very emotionally involved in things. Um, that's just the way I am. And I think it, uh, gives me a deeper, more rich and meaningful appreciation of all sorts of forms of entertainment. So I'm very happy that I, that is the way I am. Being so close to the industry and playing so many games over the last four years, what strikes you as the biggest change in the hobby as a whole? What direction do you see it moving in? What, honey pie? I'm just saying, I've... Hey! Daisy! Sorry, folks. <clears throat> Good girl. Uh, Daisy had escaped me and was over. Yep, and she out was over window. growling at something out the window. I mean, it's just a constant vigilance. Sorry, I should have covered the mic up. I, that probably blew out your speakers if you're listening on earbuds. Sorry. Anyway, so what is the biggest change of the hobby in a whole, and what direction do we see the hobby moving in? I don't know. Do you have anything on this topic, Honey Pie? Yeah, I think the hobby's getting deeper. It's getting really interesting games with. Um, Interesting themes and things to think about rather than just, you know, move your guy here, collect your money, most money at the end wins. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think it's getting infinitely better and more interesting and more deep. Mm -hmm. Do you have a nomination for biggest change in the hobby as a whole during our brief time in it? Well, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Do you? yeah, it's the implementation of iPhone. Wrong! Oh, well, excuse me then I guess I could say the implementation of using iPhones and things to All right. uh, you know, take care of some of the boring minutia that has to go on with games like if you're doing, what was that, Alchemy one that we... Alchemist. Thank you. So you would say, from your perspective, the biggest change to the hobby and the time we've been playing is the introduction mm -hmm. of digital um, uh, implementation. Well, I just think it, it gets... Integration. Yeah, in that it's a tool to get rid of something that's a bit busy work and boring and stuff that, you know, doesn't mm -hmm. really have a place in the game enjoyment spectrum, but is needed somehow in there. Okay. And bless their little computery hearts for doing it. Sure. Well, um, I would not say that that's the biggest change because the reality is, and I've said this since the beginning, I mean, it's, it's always struck me as a bit odd that there are, there's a contingent of board gamers that are worried that <laughs> app integration into board games spells the doom and end of the industry that it is such a big seismic shift that it will change everything forever when in fact that just fundamentally cannot happen because people don't understand just how hard it is to make good solid digital apps it's crazy expensive mm. and it's not something that um, you know a small board game publisher is ever going to do very often even big board game publishers find that when they actually bite it off and try to do it man that's really hard I don't know if we're going to do that again. That was really hard. Um, so it's just not going to be something that you're seeing uh, that often. 
And you know, a lot of people are saying, ah, legacy, it's a fundamental permanent seismic shift. You know, disposable games, that's the future, and it will destroy our hobby. Once again, I don't believe that is the case either, because once again, that is so much harder to do. It's always going to be an outlier, both of those things. They're great, they're wonderful, they're lovely evolutions, but they're not something that is a seismic change, nor do they represent any sort of direction the industry is going in. So, for my money, I'm just going to cop out and say the uh, answer is, what is the direction we're going? We are going in all directions. We are exploding in a full 360-degree panorama because we're, we're, it's baby steps. I mean, um, I mean, I've talked about this before. The state we are in right now in the, in the hobby is the equivalent of you know, cinema back in the 1910s and 1920s. You know, we we have we haven't even gotten to talkies yet. We're still in black and white silent films. Um, you know, D.W. Griffith, maybe uh, Pandemic Legacy or other really really big hits are the equivalent of a D.W. Griffith film. But I, I you know, it's just baby steps. I mean, there's a bajillion different ways we can go, and we are such a small, little, insignificant speck of an industry compared to pop culture zeitgeist. I mean. We are going in every direction. There is no one direction we're going. There is no one big change. Oh, come on, Daisy. Um, A truck drove by. This is our life, folks. Um, It's amazing that Jen's been able to keep her quiet as long as she has. We've only had her a week. Yes, she's great. We love her, but she's really got to let go of that window. We have a big, beautiful, lovely window of the world, which we've loved up until now, up until Daisy. (laughs) There is a pre-Daisy and post-Daisy. We're in a post-Daisy life now. Um, let's see. What, in my opinion, is the most controversial theme that I have played and enjoyed in a board game? Um, we've been playing New Bedford for context. Uh, New Bedford we're certainly not going to play because there's no way in heck that Jen would ever play that game. That is a game of whaling. Killing um, whales? Yes. <gasps> Not modern day, but, you know. Yeah, at, back uh, in the day. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I, I think that's fine. I don't have any particular problem with that <laughs> subject matter. I think that's great. I, I think uh, board games as a means of uh, casting a light on history is is phenomenal. So New Bedford's great. Uh, I can't imagine there was really that much controversy about it. I mean, there's an easy answer for this. I mean, by far, the most controversial um, game that I have played is my fault. Really, when it boils right down to it, five tribes. Because by the time I had done a video of it, I mean, I mean, we, we came to the game way late. It had already been out for months. Everybody knew about that slave card. Nobody had said a thing. Or there were a few people that were kind of bothered by it, but it was just no big deal. And then I come along and do my run-through, and I make a big deal about it. And suddenly, I mean, it was just this ridiculous flame storm for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, you know, just the threads just would not stop. And to this day... Uh, a week doesn't go by that somebody doesn't still give me crap about that um, because I'm being too much of a snowflake. I'm being too much of a social justice warrior. Well, you know what? I wear those badges with honor. I think social justice is a good thing that's worth fighting for. And yeah, it's going to have to be that ridiculous, gratuitous, completely tone-deaf slave card that just had no place in that game. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. And I'll be honest, I'm glad it changed. Uh, you know, it, 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 just, it just made no sense. Um, but, you know, that, that has been such a long topic. Actually, I'm, I, I am already regretting even mentioning it now. Please, anybody who is already or at your keyboard typing up a storm, just stand down. I really, for over a year, 
I've been having to take flack on this. You're not going to change my opinion. It's great. You like the slave card. You think it's phenomenal in five tribes. I get it. I I hope you enjoy your first edition copy of the game. You don't need to shout at me about it anymore. It's really, you're not changing the world. Uh, But... Uh, that that answer that was your that answers your question mark that one oh my god that was just so awful um, that's the closest I've ever had to come down to shutting down threads in my in guild.rado.com and people just kept going back and forth on it just such a terrible terrible thing um, you know the worst of gamergateism brought to the board game industry which was so sad I'm so happy it's over now shouldn't even have mentioned it but Moving on to uh, hopefully a happier topic. Um, number four. <laughs> Honey, what is our typical post-game practice? Do we discuss strategies? Where one person went wrong? What we should have done on turn two? Or do we just pack it up and go watch some TV? Oh. I have no idea what Jen's going to say here. Yeah, I will. I would say it definitely varies depending on the game because we do play a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And I think if it's one of the ones that I really, really like, we do probably keep talking about it. And actually, I'll bring up something a day or two even later that has still been percolating in my head. So, but I would say in general, we play, I would say in the afternoons, the early afternoons. So usually what happens when we're done is I go make us dinner. Ah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and we eat and yeah. Um, if, it's, if there's something that's really interesting about the game or contentious, I think we do sit at the table afterwards and just kind of keep talking about it while we're packing it away. And when I say we packing it away, it's mainly him packing yeah. it away and me still sitting there. But... Um, what would you say? Well, I would. Um, well, basically, the main thing I do, if it's not immediately obvious to me, sometimes, it, often, it is immediately obvious to me. Mm-hmm. I ask her what she thinks because I know what I think, but I want to know what she thinks so yeah. that I can have. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a second data point because when I'm playing a game, I'm already thinking about what am I going to say in a run through. Um, you know, I'm I'm always constantly evaluating them because people want to know what I think. I wish they didn't. Because what I think is completely immaterial. I've said it a million times. I'll now say it a million and one. This is the million and one time I've said it. <laughs> and I was here Please for it. Please disregard my, my personal opinions about games. It really has no more bearing or weight than anybody else's. But I know people are going to want to know. So, um, you know, once we've finished a game, I'm already thinking about it. And I'm curious what Jen thinks, too. Because uh, while we are very simpatico in a lot of ways, she often has, you know, observations that are different than mine. And the important thing is, too... Jen, I would say, is a much more normal person than me. As a former game designer for 20 years, I can't help but think about things in terms of design and how um, things intermesh and uh, you know compare and contrast with other games and whatnot. It's just kind of the way my brain is wired. Jen just thinks more in terms of, did I have fun? Yep. What's and a good um, game? Did okay, I why? You know, the toughest thing is if Jen didn't like something, trying to get mm-hmm. out of her, extract um, concrete reasons because she. Um, you know, it's, it's not like she, it, she doesn't want to be mean because hey, no one's around. She just doesn't necessarily have the language to, you know, or, you know, the, the thought processes to really evaluate. She just knows, yeah, I didn't like it. Do I have to think of why I didn't like it? I didn't like it. So why, why do I have to focus on that? Um, no, honey, we have to figure out why you didn't like it so that I can give voice to your perspective. Because uh, it's interesting. I want to know why you didn't like it. So that one's a tricky one. And like I said, it doesn't come up that often because nine out of ten games we play... We both like, because if we don't like it, that means I failed at my number one job, which is vetting the game before it ever ever came in the front door. Um, You know, because I I work really hard to make sure we only ever are exposed to games we are very, very likely to enjoy. So when it's the odd one we didn't like, 
that's going to be one where um, we really talk about it. And I and I work very very hard asking a lot of leading questions, trying to get Jen to, you know, dig deep. Because I can, I can just rattle off why I like or don't like something because, again, that's just what yeah. I've done for so long. Yep. So that's a big thing. But, again, it, it doesn't come up that often. But it, when it does, it's a big conversation. And so that's why it's the first thing that pops into my mind. Um, another big topic, which I don't think Jen mentioned, is I've talked about this in the past. Jen wins about 65% of the time uh, on average. Uh, now it's not, that's not up-to-date records, but as of two years ago, that was the result of about a good two or three years' worth of stats is that Jen wins 65%, 66% of the time. Um, and I just have to make my peace with that. And, but the bigger thing is, more often, Jen gets a lot more blowouts. When I win, it's more often than not a squeaker. When Jen wins, it's not at all uncommon for it to be a blowout. And so another topic that I will often want to dig down on is, my God, what did I do so badly? What is wrong with me? Could you please help me identify? Because clearly you get this game in a way that I do not. Don't just walk away from the table. I need help here. I'm drowning. Look at this. It was 120 to 91. That's ah, You murdered me. Why? What did I do wrong? It's funny, actually, too. Yeah, you know, most recently, you know, because as often as not, it's it's very very hard for us to identify anything. Mm. Um, and Jen's always quick to say, oh, I, "I just got lucky." It's like, honey, you don't. You, you, maybe it was fifty five, forty five, but it's not. It's sixty five. <laughs> you know, anyway, um, we did one thing that is definitely the case is it might that 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 spread might not be as valid as I previously thought it was because the reality is, you guys watch my videos. If you're listening to this, you probably watch my videos. You know, I tend to make goofs. I make goofs all the time. I'm a goofy Gus. I mean, I make goofs not... Yeah, I mean, my goofs are accentuated and um, exaggerated because I'm focusing on actually filming and all that. But I, I make goofs when we're just playing as well. It's funny, when I play games, I am often paying more attention to making sure everybody else is doing well around the table than myself, just because I'm trying to make sure, okay, did you notice this or not? Not be, you know, not... But just because I'm worried that, hey, I'm the one that read the rules. I have an unfair advantage. I know the game better. I really have to focus on making sure everybody gets... You know, nobody's surprised by you know any kind of <clears throat> weird little tricks of the game, and so I, I make goofs on my own behalf. And the other thing, I have occasionally noticed Jen making goofs not because she's scatterbrained like me, but because um, you know she wasn't aware of some particular element of the game. And since we tend to play multiplayer solitaire games as often as not, it's not all that uncommon that oh, I'm focusing on my thing, you're focusing on your yeah. thing, and every once in a while I'll look up and say, "What did you just do? Oh, you can't do that." Have you been doing that the whole game? He said, no, I don't think so. And we don't know because yeah, we, we don't film cameraman. every game. Yep. We should just film every single game we play. So, um, you know, I'm sorry. That's, totally, that's just something that we kind of came to the realization yeah, the other day. Recently, but it's an example yeah. of something we talked about after a game. Well, that and I'll say, honey, did you get your two bucks? Or yeah. did you flip that thing over? No. Yeah. You totally forgot because you're thinking about what my question was. Yeah. So it's quite possible that you will do much better if you would just... Pay attention to your own game. Anyway, that went way off into the weeds, but hopefully that gives Mark an idea of kind of some of our post-game. Yeah, I guess we do talk about the games. Yeah. More often than not, we probably do have something to talk about the game. But we're also talking about it and dissecting it as we're going through. Oh, sure. Yeah, we do that a lot. Definitely. 
Yeah, I mean, usually, I mean, most games about halfway through, we'll just stop. Okay, are you liking it? I mean, do you love it or do you hate it or what? I mean, you know, we're already talking about that stuff yeah. midway through. Um, let's see. Is there a single component that can cause you to be more excited about playing a game? I.e., do you slide the box top off and see a chunky <clears throat> cardboard or solid husk of plastic and get excited? Or do the components add little value to the experience? Oh, I love components. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love bling. Mm-hmm. Especially sparkly bling. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would be lying to say that the components don't have an impact. Of course, at the end of the day, it's all about the gameplay. It's not about the presentation. But, yeah, I mean, I'm a human being. Mm. Nice things are nice. Yep. Who doesn't want to pretty. have nice things? I mean, I could touch gross things or I could touch nice things. I could look at ugly things or I could look at pretty things. A pretty thing is going to be more pleasant than an ugly thing. Yep. There's no getting around it. That's human nature. And while, yeah, at the end of the day... It's the gameplay experience that's more important. And for us, that's really important because we play a lot of ugly-looking prototypes. Yeah. Um, still, yeah, of course, uh, well, bling, is, bling is king. And I would take functionality over pretty. Okay. Remember, what was that game that you, we just played recently that had all the... God, it was so cluttered. And you couldn't see. It was with all... You know what I'm talking about? Tiny Epic Quest. Thank you. I love Tiny Epic things, but this one was just too packed full Well, and you like the game. I like the game. I am. That was one of the games we talked about afterwards. We yep. talked about this quite a bit, and you know, and that and that was that was Jen's feedback that made it into my final thoughts. Because honestly, I didn't. Ha- I mean, it's a busy board. There's no toys about it, but I didn't really struggle with it that much. But Jen really did. Yeah, I mean, and, I had to sit there and stare. Go, what is that again? Yeah, you because know, oh. it's just a very, very busy board. And where's that spell? And you know, it's pretty though. It's very pretty. Mm-hmm. It was very bright, colorful, evocative, cartoony, charming art. Okay, but well, it was very, very busy. Yep. And this is what I'm saying, is it has to be functional before it's pretty. All right, there you go. You have to get the design right before you sparkle it up. All right. So that, those are Mark's questions. Now we're going to move on to Emily. Let's see. Oh, oh, Emily, I'm looking. Yep, I still don't have internet, so I can't really answer this question very well. But Emily is thinking about buying Agricola and wants to know, should they get the original or the new, I forget what it's called. It's not the anniversary edition. But it's it's basically the exact same version of the game, but they've kind of like rejiggered it. The board design has changed. I think it comes with different components now. It doesn't come with cubes anymore. And uh, some of the cards have been tweaked for balance. Some of the cards have been removed. I guess other cards have been added. And she wants to know... Well, she's inclined to get the original edition because she wants all the cards! And she wants to support Z-Man. But people say that some rules and the boards are better in the new one. But then, do I need a million expansions? She would love my input. Also, why did this two-version different publisher thing even happen? Oh, I don't know, Emily. I don't know. Can I just say, I love Agricola. I loved it from the get-go. Just go with the original. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Okay. And add some stuff if you after you've played it 20 times, if you want to add some stuff. Well, see, but that's not the question, though. And I'm sorry, Emily, if I could, I would pause the game and I would get online right now because I have not taken the time. I think it's called Agricola Revised. I think that's the name of it. I, they recently republished Agricola. Yeah. It comes in a box. I, there's one thing I love about it. You know how Agricola is all the different boards? Yeah. You know, yeah. They now, all those boards are jigsaw pieces. So they actually snap together so they don't slide around. Yeah. So it's a small... And, and overall, talk about the last question, it is much nicer. Ah. It, it, it is an overall more... It, it's the same presentation. It's the same game. It's the same grid with cards that you uh, reveal over the course of the game. But it's just... It's, it's, it's much more modern. 
You know, Agricola is an older game, and it's mm-hmm. it's just it's gotten a new, fresh coat of paint. Okay. And at the same time, the designer Uwe Rosenberg went back mm-hmm. and he tweaked and balanced some of the cards. I mean, because those cards have been around forever. Mm-hmm. Agricola is one of the most played heavy Euro games there are. There's millions and millions of instances, and so they've been able to go back and tweak and balance. Oops, sorry. Um, Daisy. Oh, Daisy. All right, everybody, uh, cover your ears. Daisy. No. No. Okay, Daisy. Good girl. Good girl. All right. Daisy, uh, come. Actually, I can't tell people to uncover their ears. Sorry, everybody. Come on. I should have put a pillow over the mic. Good girl, Daisy. Yeah, you don't learning. care. She's you just, it doesn't matter. There, was, there were people walking by. We don't have to be afraid suits. of them. It's They're November. just tourists. Yep. All right. Um, so Maybe it was that he wasn't wearing a shirt and he had quite a belly. Maybe did he? she was, you know, visually offended or something. Yes, indeed. But at least he was wearing trunks instead of a speedo. Because we live that. near Italy and lots of people wear speedos here. There is a... Whether I've seen more speedos here one. than the rest of my life combined. It is <laughs> I know. True. Oh, dear. Uh, anyway, so there's this new version and, you know, there's these tweaks and whatnot. But I guess even the art's been tweaked. Um, but And so I, I don't know. I guess that means... It is incompatible with uh, Agricola Farmers of the Moor or Championship Edition. Now, here's the thing. If it were me, I would probably buy the new one now because I, I, I can't double-check this. But here's the thing. I mean, you, you get this. You, you get this. You can still go out and get um, Championship Edition cards. Or, I mean, you know, you know, there's a million different expansion packs. Because this is not a game where you spend your whole game drawing cards. Um, you know, car, different looking card backs aren't going to break the game. I, I don't see any particular reason that all the expansions that already exist won't be compatible with this new version. Maybe not Farmers of the Moor, but I bet you even Farmers of the Moor would be. And, I mean, I, I'd rather have the new tweaked, more um, you know, sharp presentation, more properly balanced version of the game. I've been thinking about picking up the new one myself. I mean, I can't really because we have so much invested in the old one. We love but, the old um, one. yeah. If it were me, if I were starting over from scratch, I'd probably go with the new one. And, you know, because I'd be willing to bet it's compatible with probably 80% of everything that's out there. And the base game, probably out of the box, is better. And, I mean, I guess another thing is the original game, you could play five players out of the box, but now you can only play four players and you have to buy an expansion to be able to play five players. Jen, I don't care. We only ever played as a two player game. Um, as for why it happened, I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of people who think it's just a money grab kind of thing. And I, I don't know. I'm never one for going in for that level of cynicism. I, I, I would. Um, what, what, hey, Oh, um, just, you know, when you, when you jostle your mic around, you make a lot of mic noise, just so you know. Um, apparently, Jen is leaving. Sorry, Emily. Jen has nothing to say on your topic. I'll be right. I already said everything. All right. She's already said everything she's got to say. Um, yeah, ah, man, this is, I mean, how many hours now have we had no internet? I, I, if I could look it up, I would do some research, but I got nothing for you. Um, I would suggest actually just go to guild.rado.com and ask. I'm sure there's a lot of people who've done research for it there. They'd be able to be in a better position than I am right now. My gut would be to go with the new one and find ways to make the old stuff work. But I mean, you'll just get tons of play out of the base game anyway. You don't even need to chase after expansions until you've played it 20 times, in my, in my opinion, or my experience anyway. Moving on, though, to um, uh, Wei Ling. Let's see here. This is a board game-related question, and then there's other ones as well. Jen has left the building. I don't know when she's coming back. I don't know where she's going. But anyway, uh, would I ever consider doing a run-through of Monopoly or Chess, deadpan, in my usual style, as a joke 
folks might find it entertaining. You know what? Actually, I have thought about that. Um, two years in a row now, uh, in the month of March, I have tried to find a copy of... Spoiler alert, I mean, this would spoil the joke, but what the heck. I can't seem to find one. A copy of the Malta version of Monopoly. I guess one of the smallest print runs ever was the Malta-specific version. It's out there, but I just can't seem to get my hands on it. But I would love, as an April Fool's joke, you know, April 1st, to do a run-through of the Malta version of Monopoly. If I ever can find one, I'll do it. I don't want to do regular Monopoly. It's got to be Malta Monopoly, because that's where I live. But anyway, uh, other than that, no. But that would be kind of fun. I'd be kind of inclined to do that. Although, in all honesty, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't do it anyway, even if I could find it, because I've just got way too many games to cover these days. It just never stops. The avalanche of games never ends, so I don't know if there's time for such silly dalliances. But anyway, let's see. Moving on. Have you ever... Oh, oh, oh yeah, these are not board game-related questions, so we'll come back to them later. Moving on to Nicholas, who is interested in terraforming Mars and notes that I have mentioned in the past that it looks too conflicty, cutthroat for me and Jen. And um, he's confused that I've said that because all the other reviewers haven't really seemed to be too terribly bothered about its conflicty or cutthroat nature. Um, he hasn't played the game himself, so what uh, would tip terraforming Mars over the edge for me? Well, actually, if you go back and you watch... Um, what was it? Oh, Dice Tower. Tom Vassell and Jason Levine, actually, they mentioned it in their final thoughts. They uh, said, well, hey, what do you think about the meanness factor? And he said, well, it's definitely there. It's, uh, it's, it's not enough to bother us, but yeah, it's there. It's definitely a thing. The fact that there is enough of it there for Tom Vassell and uh, Jason Levine to, to, for it to be a bullet point for them to talk about means that, you know, well, there's like a whole sliding scale of sensitivity to this. And if it's strong enough for them to note, it's strong enough for me to hate. And I've looked through a list of the cards now. There's a lot of really nasty cards in that game. Steal, all, you know, where it's mostly just focused on stealing other players' stuff. And I've, I, I just don't have time for that in my life. I'm just not even remotely interested. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, in the same way that, I found Deus to be too mean. I found Seven Wonders Duel to be too mean. I, I've got a long laundry list of games that I found to be too mean. That there are plenty of other people out there who say, no, 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 it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and I'm sure uh, Terraform Mars is just gonna, it's going to be the same. For reasons why, again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the Q&A. Go to faq.rado.com. I talked about, you know, a lot about all the various things that go into evaluating whether something is too mean for me and Jen. Jen just left me holding this mic. I don't want to stand here holding this mic anymore. All right, let's see if I can just clip it onto something else. There we go. And clipped. Fine. Hopefully that is not making feedback now. All right, so anyway, yeah, a terraforming Mars, I just don't know. Um, but I'll be doing a run-through for it sometime this month, so we'll find out soon. Uh, you know, so stay tuned, everybody. Then we're moving on to a manual. Who, oh, is interested, how did I shrink episode 17 of the podcast down? The old ones were way bigger. Yes, it's true. I think my normal podcast size is like 150, 200 megs. But then uh, 17 was like 80 or 90. I'm just stupid. And I apologize to everybody. I, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I didn't really spend much time researching how to make a good podcast. So I just downloaded Audacity because it was free. And you know what, folks? 
Jen is now in the kitchen starting to make a lot of noise. So I think we'll come back to that question in a second. Hold on, everybody. Okay, everybody. So Jen apparently wanted to chop carrots or something like that. I'm not really quite sure what she was doing, but I took a look and it looks like these last few board game related questions, there's no way she'd have anything to say on them anyway. So I'm flying solo for a few minutes until we move on to the personal section. But anyway, back to Emmanuel. Right. There's nothing much to say. I was just recording these things with Audacity and, or not with Audacity. I, I record these podcasts with the same lapel mic and the same camera I used to record my run-throughs. And I just take those videos, which is just a video of me uh, sitting here talking, or actually more often than not, I just have the camera pointing at the ground. So it's a video of nothing. I strip the audio out in Audacity, and then I, you know, I do as little editing as possible, just you know, putting in the, the connection things. I, I go to YouTube, I find some random elevator music video, I download that, so I have some music to put in between the little bits, and then I just save the whole thing as an MP3. And so that meant I was saving them in stereo at some big, crazy, high megahertz bit rate that was apparently absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, dogs wouldn't be able to tell the difference between, because I was, I was just saving them at, at the default, insanely high studio quality setting. And that's why I had 200 meg files. And then I just happened to stumble across somebody saying, yeah, turn them to mono and put them down. I forget what it was. I forget, like 48, I think the number. I forget what it is. And so I did that, and oh, look, it's like less than 100 megs. And I should have been doing that all along, and I apologize for not having done my due diligence earlier. But from now on, they should all be smaller. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on to Paul. Speaking of, uh, he, Paul would like more of my funky retro interlude music, please. He's just getting down to the beat. When I come back from my mini water break, he wants more. Um, Thanks for the feedback. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I don't really have a lot of these things. I, I, I just, every time I do this, I download, I just go, do a search for elevator music or Muzak or something like that. I download some other thing and I just grab a few snippets from it. Um, I guess they could go longer. If there's a huge demand for making these things last for 15 seconds, go to guild.rado.com and make your voice heard, I suppose. All righty. Or maybe Paul's just kind of crazy. Then we've got David, who um, asks if I have ever considered including in my podcasts or videos uh, something counting down Board Game Geek's top 50 and giving a quick opinion of each game. Could even be short, off-the-cuff opinions of each game uh, where you didn't look them up ahead of time. Um, even if it was a game I'd never played, it would be cool to hear your marks. You know what, Dave? I would do that for you right now if the internet wasn't dead. We are now on hour four of the internet being dead, I believe. And so I can't do it. Tell you what, Dave, um, if you hear this, send another question to questions.rado.com. And when I get it in a future podcast, I will insert and do that during a Q&A because it'd be easy. It'd be easy peasy. Shouldn't take very long at all. Um, I would do it right now. It's just impossible because still no internet. Moving on to, oh, the last one, Jeff is wondering, because he hadn't seen this addressed elsewhere and is curious, uh, both Tom Vassell and Quentin Smith of Shut Up and Sit Down were paid consultants on Mechs versus Minions, and uh, he was wondering if I was ever contacted to be part of the same design team, and if not, do I have any bad feelings? With my background in game design, albeit video games, uh, 
Jeff felt that it would have been extremely useful to have me on the team. I'm obviously happy with the outcome, but wondering if I had any input about what might have been changed. Well, I can definitely say, Jeff, I was not contacted, and I certainly wouldn't say I have bad feelings about. Well, no, I was going. I don't have hard feelings about it, but yeah, I'm bummed. I would have loved to do that. I would have killed to do that. That would have been so much fun. Um, you know, and they, you know, they wouldn't have had to pay me. I wouldn't, I, honestly, I don't think I would have even accepted payment. Oh, they, if they just would have put me on a plane to fly me out to wherever they are, probably Southern California is where Riot is based, I would assume. I would have done it for free. Uh, I would have done it for donuts. Just because it would have been a blast. It would have been a hoot. But nope, they, they never contacted me. And in fact, I believe I was one of the last people contacted to do a run-through of it. Um, because I only got that copy of the game, like, gosh, I think maybe two weeks before the embargo was over. They got it to me very late. I, I think they... I'm, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure why I came late on the list. I was happy to do it. I was happy to be part of that media event that media circus that yeah, came from the embargo and everybody releasing on the same day. I thought that was a lot of fun. But more than anything else, I just really enjoyed the game. But yeah, I mean, God, that would have been absolute. I would have adored that to death. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not sore about it, but I'm bummed because yeah, that would have been really great. And I, I bet you, I would have given them. I, heck, I told, I totally would have given you tons of feedback because I, 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 when I got the run through, I gave them tons of feedback on the rules. And unfortunately, by the time I got the game, it was way too late because the rules were what they were. But there were a lot of things in that big major rule book that I think were left a little bit to be desired and all that. And yeah, I mean, so yeah, but they didn't. And uh, if I had any input, oh, and so of course, I can't give any input on what might have changed because I never saw it in whatever state it was. Apparently, when they were flown out, it was a competitive game instead of a cooperative game. Or I guess maybe it didn't have um, a campaign. It was just like, I don't know what. Um, I do believe, probably for my money, the single biggest thing that's missing from the game, and it, to me it's kind of almost criminally missing, is an infinity module that just comes up with a few simple rules to be able to make randomly generated adventures, because it does only come with ten adventures. And, you know, there's, there are ten great adventures, and of course you get probably, you know, 20 plays out, well, more than 20 plays, because you'll lose a few times, and then you have to go back and you have to play them at the hard difficulty level where they add the extra objectives and all that. But it just seems insane to me that they didn't come up with a few simple rules to be able to randomly generate, you know, just rolling some dice, a, uh, you know, randomly put together a map with some random objectives, uh, random uh, spawn rules. You know, there's so many different ways that the minions work. Just, you know, uh, you know, I believe a system could have been done that would give the game infinite replayability, and I don't understand why they didn't do it. That is certainly something I would have pushed for if I had been involved early in that campaign. Because, I mean, as a designer myself, I think it would have been really, really easy for them to put together. And, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, the game is so ridiculously cheap because, you know, they're subsidizing the shipping. I mean, they're basically shipping it for free, for all intents and purposes, because there's no way they aren't taking a huge loss on shipping on that game. But, sorry, that's totally as an aside. And uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I would have given them tons of feedback. I think probably the rule book and that big encyclopedia would have been better because, I mean, I'm a professional technical writer. That's what I was trained to do in university. So I would have loved to do it, but I did not get the call. And uh, that's it, folks. That We have now gotten to the end of the 
professional stuff, and now it's time to move on to the personal stuff. So Jen will be coming back in just a few minutes. Hang on, and here, have some funky music. Oh my God, folks. Oh dear. So I just finished recording the podcast, kind of jumping forward in time here a little bit and it got up to unplug the camera and, um, and I looked down and I said to Jen, did you just unplug your mic just now? And she said, no, I unplugged it a half an hour ago. So I have no idea how much of this podcast, um, Jen is going to sound like she's very quiet in a distant room um, because it's just being picked off by my unidirectional mic. But we talked about it, and in all honesty, neither of us really feel the strength to go back and re-record everything we just recorded. So I'm really sorry, folks. I'll try to do some kind of fancy trick and audacity to level out the sounds. We'll see what I can come up with. But anyway, we are now going to continue with the Q&A. Um, but Jen is actually still in the room on the same couch with me. You might not believe it, but let's continue. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Jen has returned because it's time for personal questions. We have some snoozing beagles all around us. Hopefully there will be no more interruptions. Daisy is a good girl now. She doesn't have to worry about all those tourists. Good girl, Daisy. See all these other beagles? They're fine. You don't need to worry about it. So let's get on to the personal questions. Starting with one from Andrew, who was watching my morels run through and noticed I made a comment about my brother having a bad experience eating mushrooms in the woods. What happened? Well, I'm afraid there's not much of a story there, Andrew. I, honestly, I don't really know. This happened after I had gone off to college in the University of Washington, and my brother was still in high school and living at home. He's, what, three years younger than me, I think? And apparently, he ate some mushrooms that he found out in the woods, and it apparently killed him. He was dead for 45 seconds. Or I'm, I'm, I, I've, I, I, It's weird. I've only ever heard... This kind of mention in passing, and I have to admit, I've never really asked because, you know, I mean, if you know my brother, he has had a wide range of not necessarily family friendly adventures over the course of his life that I can't really relate here because I know some folks listen to this show with their kids. So, uh, suffice to say, he's the black sheep. He does done a lot of crazy stuff in his time, and uh, that was one of many misadventures he had. But I never really kind of dug into the specifics. Well, the funny thing is, he'll tell you something like that, totally off the cuff, and, and then say something really wacky after that that diverts your attention, and then you go on and talk about this other thing. So that's why we probably don't have a lot of detail. On yeah, that's a fair way to put it. Yeah. My brother is a character. Yeah. Definitely. Um, then moving on to Kenneth, who wonders if I have any thoughts about Days Gone, since uh, this will be the game, um, the first original IP from Eidetic, or you know, Sony Bend, since Siphon Filter. Uh, and he also wonders, do I think a modern Siphon Filter, would it be well-received, or has that ship already saved? Well, Days Gone looks really cool. I, I would definitely play it if I had a PlayStation 4. I mean, I, it's, it's weird, actually. It's pretty uncommon for folks in the video game industry to stay at one company for as long as... I mean, so much of Eidetic or Sony Bend is comprised of the same guys I worked with all those years ago. I mean, how long? Was that 20 years ago now? Oh, gosh. Uh, what was it? Late 80s? No, late 90s? Probably 15 years ago. 
mid yeah mid to late nineties is when I was there working on siphon filter and still I mean almost most everybody who is there is still there so uh, you know I mean I. I'm, and, and I love all those guys. I mean, you know, they were all good friends. You know, we were all soldiers in arms, uh, you know, you know, killing ourselves on Siphon Filter. So I wish nothing but the best for them. I hope it's a huge monster success. I mean, I saw the videos, uh, you know, the announcement, you know, watching Jeff play. And I mean, I, 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 I could just feel for Jeff. I can imagine how much pressure he must have been under to, to not screw up in that, that demo he did. But uh, it looks great. I hope it's a monster hit. But unfortunately, I don't have a PlayStation 4, so I'll never get a chance to play it. Um, what do I think about a new... Man, I would love to do that. Uh, you know, there aren't very many things that would make me go want to go back to working, but, you know, if somebody contacted me and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna make Siphon Filter again, I'd have to seriously consider it. You know, and Jen just gave me the craziest, what the crazy... You wouldn't want to go back to live in Bend and work on? Yeah, I'd love to go back and live in Bend. I love Bend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved it. But then what was the crazy look for? That anything would make you want to go. Well, I, I didn't say I'd do it. I just said it would tempt me. There are things that would tempt me. Well, I'll tell I mean, you what would uh, tempt you what's that? Some Lord of the Rings thing, moving to New Zealand and living in Hobbit Land. <laughs> yeah, if if Weta Workshops were to... They, for years, there's been rumors about them doing their video game division thing. If they ever did that, yeah, that would be something. Um, Harry Potter MMO. Yep. I almost got to do that. That's why we... That's, you know that's why we read Harry Potter, right? Yep. Otherwise, I don't think we ever. I mean, we probably would have read it eventually because it came such a big deal. But um, because I almost got the gig on that. Uh, what was that? That was yeah, that was Sony Online that was going to do that, but then that all fell through. Or was it Sony Online? No, no, no. Was it Origin or, or whatever? Um, yeah, but no. I honestly, I think it could. I think um, you know, like what's the the new Tomb Raiders? The, the total reboot, revamp, Tomb Raiders, those were big hits. Those were monster hits. Those completely revitalized that. And, you know, and Siphon Filter comes from the same time. You know, it doesn't have quite the same pedigree as Tomb Raider, but it's, I mean, I, I can imagine a, a, a cool, not a reboot. I wouldn't want to do a reboot. Man, I would love to just continue from where I left off. I mean, my understanding is the last PSP game, which I never played because I didn't have a PSP, um, ended with apparently, spoiler alert, Gabe Logan's death. And then they left that as like the all-time cliffhanger. Did he live or die? I, I would love to do that. I would I would love to you know pick up from where that story left off, and um, it'd be kind of like an oracle thing where you know now he can't go out in the field anymore because he suffered those injuries. So it's uh, it really focuses on uh, Leon and Teresa. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, with, with all the modern stuff and and doing like you know not just you know revamping what's been done before, but really trying to push forward. I, I think that'd be really really great. And I think there would be an audience for it because, I mean, to this day, people, you know, all these years later, I mean, there's still so much love for Siphon out there. Um, but I don't know if it'll ever happen. But yeah, Days Gone looks phenomenal. And I wish all those guys the best of luck. Righty. I've new, there have been numerous times where I've expressed on the podcast that I am done with game development. But if I had to choose between working on a modern day Siphon filter, Fable, <laughs> Or Brink, which is using why? Actually, I guess I should have read the entire question before I started uh, going off in the defense there. Sorry, Honey Pie. Um, well, for Jen, it would be it would be Fable, yeah. because Jen really liked Fable too. Yep. And you know, it's and I, I honestly of this, I did have the chance. I don't know if we ever talked about this. Um, you know, finished Brink. Yep. Or actually, no. Uh, what was it? Uh, Marvel Secret Wars got canceled, and then I was done. I have you know Disney. Um, you know, ripped that away from me. I was so excited about that game, so I, I retired, started doing Rattle Runs through. But then I get the call 
to come to Malta to work on Wishing Tooth. Yeah. In England? Yeah. Well, you. It wasn't called Rotto Runs Through. It was. It was just you picking up yeah. the camera every so Yeah. Long. Okay. I did like one a week or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I started doing it. Uh, and I, so I got the call to, to come do this, this gig in Malta, which ultimately we did. Yeah. But right almost at the exact same time, I got a call from Lionhead saying, come back. We want you to be the lead on the next fable. Um, you know, the one that would ultimately go on to become Fable Legends, I think is what it was called, although it was going to be a completely different game. And I, we had to choose stay in Guildford, go, because, you know, the, the two offers, they were comparable. At the end of the day, the Malta job offer, you know, had, had a better salary and, you know, it, well, it had a better salary and lower cost of living than living in Guildford. And, um, you know, and, and there were a lot of pros and cons, and it was a really tough choice. Yeah. Jen's got a lot to say here. She's just staring wistfully off into space. I'm not staring wistfully. I'm just waiting to hear what you're going to say. Okay, what am I going to say? And, you know, ultimately we decided to come to Malta and work on the kids' MMO, um, which we'll never see the light of day because, well, that's a whole other story. Oh, my God, that was just absolute insanity. But anyway, I could have gone to be the lead on what would have been uh, Fable 4. And it came really, really close. Really, really close to doing it. But it really came down to moving forward and trying new things. That, that was certainly on the list. I wouldn't say that was the defining thing. I, I don't know if that was it. I mean, because I would have loved to do it. I knew exactly what I wanted Fable 4 to be. And it was nothing like what they ultimately did. Um, man, and it would have been awesome. I would have been, it would have been super stoked to do. But in all honesty, I think for me, a bigger thing was that the Malta job was going to be a smaller, quicker, easier gig. And if I was going to go back to working full-time, I did not want a hard, painful, crunch-induced slog for three or four years, which is what working on another fable would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been, yeah, it would have been an insane amount of pressure. Whereas this was like a smaller, a little thing. It was, it, it, it was, yes, it was something new. It was different. I was excited about that. And we loved the idea of, you know, living in Malta, although we would have loved to stay in England as well. But, um, ultimately, so that wasn't the question. The question was another fable, another siphon, another brink. <sighs> I would want to do all of those. And quite frankly, any of those would tempt me out of retirement. Um, and none of them will ever happen as it happens. Uh, man, if I had to choose one, I had to choose one. That is so hard. That is real. I'm getting total AP even thinking about that. <laughs> brink, because you know that's unfinished business. We learned so much on that game, and if we could do a brink too, we would improve on what was done. And what what we were doing in brink, I still think for my money, is just about the most important evolutionary step in video game design there is. Um, you know, The melding of multiplayer and single player into one contiguous experience where you never know if you're playing against AI or playing against other players who have their own storyline that they're following and I'm following my storyline. That's what we were trying to do in Brink. I'm not saying we succeeded. You know, I mean, it, it, was, it was a compromised product because of publisher interference and, oh my God, that's a whole other god-awful story but um man i would really like to finish what we started there we would have finished it if disney hadn't canceled marvel secret wars just like they canceled everything they were doing it wasn't just us they canceled everything so i'd really like to finish what i started with brink fable i would love to do um 
because yeah, my my vision of the Fable Four. I mean, I, I want to make a. F- the trickiest thing about Fable though is I wouldn't want to do it by myself. It wouldn't just be me. I, we, they would have to get Dean back, Dean Carter, who um, you know, and 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 Simon as well. But really, I mean, Dean was my creative partner on that. He's moved off to America. He's doing other stuff now. I mean, what he's doing on mobile is just absolutely. I mean, just amazing. And I know he's very fulfilled doing his little independent thing. I, he would have to come back too. That was another reason I didn't want to do Fable because I didn't want to do Fable without Dean. So I forgot about that. Um, let's see. And Siphon Filter. Well, I mean, that's just big nostalgia. I know Jim would love to move back to Bend. I mean, I'd love to move back to Bend too. And I mean, it'd be great to see all the guys. Although, you know, that's obviously huge rose-colored glasses going on here. Just remembering all the good times and all the bad times and all that. Plus, I don't know that you could ever go back. It's never going to be good. Yeah, of course. So I guess, in all honesty, of, I guess it'd be Brink. But no, but again... I'm only dismissing Fable because it can't be because Dean wouldn't come back. If Dean could come back, if we could get the band together, um, it'd probably be Brink or Fable. Well, so that's the thing. I would want to take some of the stuff that we did in Brink and bring it into Fable. If I did Siphon Filter, I'd still want to take those basic ideas of the, of, you know, the singularity of multiplayer and single player, of social gaming, um, of what I love so much about board games, bringing that into video games. Um, that's what I'd want to do with any of them. So any of them would be equally valid. So I guess I'd, I, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't actually say, I'm sure Jen is hoping I'd say Guilford and Fable, though. <laughs> so what would you say, honey? Uh, if we could do works, any of those. What it works in New Zealand. <laughs> no. It's, me back. it's Guilford, Bromley, or Bend. Because for you, that's the main consideration. Because well, you don't care what the game is. Well, or London. London. Would you want to go live in London? I would love to live in London. London, Guildford, or Bend? Oh, That's the question for you. What, which two would you want to live in? Well, we wouldn't live in London. We'd live in Guildford because we need No, to- we would not. I would not go back to work on Brink and have another four hours commuting on the train every day. We would live in London. So this is your chance. Live in London. Or live in Guildford, back to the old house, or find a new house in Bend. Okay, well, there you go, folks. There's your answer, Kenneth. It would be Fable. All righty. Um, wow, that was a tough one. Okay, next up, Michael wants to know. Ooh, okay. Um, well, he's very interested in, in all the early retirement stuff. And you know, if, if any of these questions are too personal sensitive, feel free not to answer, Honey Pie. I think you're going to have to be the gatekeeper on these questions. Okay. Um. So, question number one. How much money did we feel was enough to allow for our early retirement? Where did this money come from? Was it all income, or was there some other source of money which made retirement possible? Wow. Okay, well, I'm going to... Like I said, he he prefaced it all with anything you're uncomfortable with. I mean, heck, I'd say everything. I I have no secrets, but I know Jen's a little bit more circumspect. Yeah, I'm going to speak in general terms. Okay. So, the thing with retiring early is you need to figure out how much money you need to live on. It's not some pie-in-the-sky number that's, oh, it's, you know, 20% of what you're currently making or 80% of what you're currently making or whatever. I mean, that does not matter. What matters is how much money are you spending every month. Um, so, you know, you can actually retire on not very much if you're not spending very much, i.e. if your house is paid off, um, if you've got a good situation where you're living at home with your parents or something like that. Um, or if you just don't spend a bunch of money. I mean, you think about it just off the top. You have to earn at least 20% more than what you're spending anyway because you pay that in taxes. 
So <laughs> as a general rule, anyway, it's good to just not spend a dollar because then you don't have to go out and make a dollar twenty. So that would be my, my first thing is take a good hard look at how much money you spend. Um, just so that you get a number. Is it, is it a thousand a month? Is it three thousand a month? Is it ten thousand a month? How much money do you actually spend? Jen is a quicken mistress. Uh, she has detailed files. Let me tell you. So many charts and graphs. It's amazing. Yep. But I mean, you can't possibly begin to answer that question for you. And it's going to be different for everybody until you know what you're spending your money on. So I would say, you know, take a year, keep a notebook in your wallet or purse or your phone or whatever. And every penny that you spend, you account for. I don't care if it's 39 cents for a gumball somewhere. Did I mention detailed files? Yeah. And then you sort that out. You say, okay, well, we spend $300 a month on groceries and $120 a month on eating out and $39 a month on Starbucks and, you know, whatever. Categorize it how, what makes sense to you. You know, some people spend $300 a month boarding a horse. So if that's important to you, then, hey, you go for it. You do it. You spend the money that, that is, you know, makes it worth it to you to, to go out and earn the money. But you can't possibly make a decision until you know where your money's going. Once you know how much you're spending, then you can make reasonable decisions on, is it worth it to spend $39 a month at Starbucks? Maybe it is. You know, maybe it's worth $300 a month for a horse. Maybe it's worth, um, you know, $1,000 a month on groceries if you really are a foodie. So um, anyway, once you figure all that stuff out, then you can really drill down and say, um, this is what I can live on. This is my... Uh, bare bones survival budget. This is my, I get most things that I want. I live, you know, pretty good. This is my luxury budget. And then once you know those numbers, then you can say, well, hey, I only need a thousand dollars a month on my bare bones. So what do I have to do to make sure I've got a thousand dollars a month coming in? Whether it's having a rental property that pays you a thousand dollars a month in rent. Well, that's pretty good. That'll probably take care of your needs. Well, if it's 3000 a month, maybe you need three of those. Maybe you actually need four because there's going to be stuff that goes wrong. <laughs> and you need a contingency plan. So I would encourage you instead to look at those kinds of numbers and see what works for you. And once you reach that kind of a number, once you know what the number is, once you've got that kind of passive income coming in, whether it's from dividends, whether it's from rental income, uh, royalties maybe somewhere, who knows? Um, or you found a job that you're willing to work at for free, but they pay you that amount of money anyway, then you're set. Then you know, hey, you've got um, what's called FU money. Um, your, your bases are covered, and you don't have to work for anybody anymore. And you go in and you do what you want to do because you love it or because you feel like you're making a big difference or whatever. Um, and if somehow that job disappears, you're okay because you've, you've got your bases covered already. Okay, so that was all very good, broad advice. You're not going to drill down at all on his specific questions of, or, I mean, I understand, you're not going to, you, you, that was your answer to his first question. How much money did we feel is enough to allow for retirement? Right. Answer to that question was, considering the fact that we live, I don't think people can realize how insanely frugally Jen and I live. We do not go out to movies. We do not go out and eat. We, you know... I, the reason I started doing Rotto Runs Through is because retirement meant I couldn't afford to buy board games anymore yep. because we were going to live frugally. That means no one game a month every month for the rest, you know, nothing, period. It was going to cut it completely cold turkey because that's the way we live. Well, because we valued our time more than we valued being able to buy a mm -hmm. game a month. Yep. So anyway, um, but then 
his second question was, where did, you know, the money, once we figured out how much we needed, where did it come from? Ah, well, as I said, there's lots of different revenue streams, and I don't really particularly want to go into what our stuff is. I think that's All right. just asking a bit too much personal stuff. Okay. Um, right, well then. But it's, oh, okay, it's, it's a combination of some rental and savings. Mm-hmm. Okie doke. Um, and let's see. Was it all income or was there some other source which made retirement possible? Yes. As Jen says, we do have rental properties. I've mentioned this oh, in the well, past. And, that's, and then there's all there. You know, I make glass. And yeah. So and that's, a, that's an important that thing to bear in mind, too. Things. And, so, and then Rado runs through, brings in yeah. more. I'm not. I am not retired. Um, <laughs> let's 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 uh, dissuade ourselves of that particular rosy worldview. I am not retired anymore. I was retired for a very short period of time before I made my own job. And Jen never stopped working and probably never will because she does not have in her the ability to stop working. Um, you know, I honestly I think it's that's a deeper, more philosophical discussion. Uh, you know, so much of her self-worth, and it's not just a reflection of her, it's a reflection of our society as a whole, is wrapped up in her ability to produce. If I'm not producing I'm not, you know, I'm a waste of space. exactly that kind of thing. Whereas me, yeah, I have a different attitude. Um, you know, I, I'm ready for the post scarcity world. Bring it on, folks. Uh, work smirk. But anyway, so yeah. Question number two: How much money did I earn as a video game designer? I have mentioned in the past, quote, crazy money. How did that work? Uh, did you have some form of profit sharing? Receive something like a million dollars for a successful game? Uh-huh. I have a hard time seeing how a normal crazy salary, like 200 k per year, and normal generous bonuses uh, per game, like 100000 could add up to enough money to retire in your 40s. Ah. Well, let me ah. speak to that. Um, All right. Remember exactly what his salary was at various times. I do. Well, it's funny. Um, I, don't think you can, I don't think you should say that. Oh, why not? I just did. Well, no, you can say, I do all you want. Oh, no, I'm not going to say what. I'm just saying I do remember what I made. Okay. Well, great. I don't think that you should, because then if any of your coworkers are listening. Oh, no, no. That's, yeah. I was, I was going to say, I, yeah, because obviously it's unlikely that any of my coworkers listen to this podcast, but I think it would, it would, it would, yeah, but they're not going to hear it. Um, but anyway, it is a fair point. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I was a creative director at these various companies and some of these companies still exist. And now whoever has my job, if I say, well, here's what I was making at the time, then everybody could say, oh, well, here's what this guy must be making at the very least, if not more at this point. So yeah, I'm not going to say how much. Um, uh, but let us just say that you got some, some really good bonuses, especially, um, on Second filter. Mm-hmm. And because we did not spend that money, we saved it and or paid off houses instead, uh, which might give you an idea how much money it is. But again, we didn't buy super expensive houses. We had a starter house that we paid off, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a tremendous amount of money, but hey, it's a lot, it well, was, it's a, it was yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you look at it that way. Um, we're not in the banker's kind of realm of getting hundreds of thousands of in bonuses and or salaries and or... Um, stuff like that. But basically, that was 20 years ago that we paid off our our house, our first house that we bought, and it's been bringing us income, rental income, for 20 years. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, if you think about it in board game terms, there is often your opportunity to make an investment in round one. Yep. Oh, I'll just put a dollar in round one, and by the end of the game, it pays off huge. It yeah, wins you the entire game. Or That's the equivalent. Yep. Siphon filter bonuses yep. and royalties. 
um, you know, paid off 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, have now, you know, even through incredible financial hardships, like, you know, the collapse of Western economy, yep. um, twice, yep. we went through two, but we went through the, 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 was it the, the tech bubble and then the housing mm-hmm. uh, crisis. We still came out on top because Jen invested the heck out of that stuff. And yeah, it did. It just grows and grows and grows. And, um, you know, at, at a time when we were not spending money on anything extemporaneous, trying to live as cheaply and frugally as we can, um, that it, it adds up. It adds up over time. Uh, it, what's it? Compound. It compounded yeah. that little seed, which again was not a little seed. I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, your guesses aren't too terribly far off. You're, you're in the, you're in the right ballpark, those numbers. Yeah, but back when you were in Bend, you weren't making that kind of money. When, uh, well, okay. That's why those bonuses were so huge to us. They were huge. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it wasn't entirely, um, yeah, in Bend, I don't think, when we left Bend, I don't think I had a six figure salary yet. I I don't, I believe we did not, yeah. When, um, when we got to Texas, I did eventually get up to six figures. Low, 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 the lowest of the low, just barely squeaking into six figure territory. Um, then we went to, um, England, and came back out. Huge pay cut. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, probably 30, 40% pay cut to mo- go to England. Yep. And, uh, and then over the years kind of worked my way back up. Never quite as high as we were in Texas. No, never quite. Um, paying a lot more in tax. yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, every penny we had was being invested. Yeah. And we weren't, well, we were spending money on the things that were important to us. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like for our 20th anniversary, we took a week off and went to Greece and had a catamaran holiday because we had a timeshare um, week thing from something my parents had. They gave us their week to use. So even after we've been married 20 years and we're making a reasonable amount of money, our idea of a big splash out for our 20th anniversary um thing was to spend, I don't know, what, maybe 1,500, 2,000 euros total on a... Well, still, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money. It's a huge amount, but I'm just saying... Yeah. I'm just saying, for a 20th anniversary, something... And to be honest, I mean, that was that was way out of the norm for us. And Yeah, and that, that was... Crazy out of the norm for us. Yeah, yeah. For us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, I guess... Uh, but, yeah, at, at the end of the day, to answer your question, you're not in that far off. Um, from your guesses. And yes, it did, in our case, allow for early retirement in our mid-40s. And also, again, because we have made life decisions that allow <laughs> us to live, continue to live frugally. Yeah, yeah. Hey, honey, guess what question number three is? That's uh, going to be something with kids. No, no, no. Oh. What's your lifestyle like prior to retirement? Uh, did you guys live an ultra-Spartan lifestyle in order to save maximally? I wouldn't call it Spartan. I would say that, again, we took a look at what we were spending money on, and we just made sure that what we were spending money on was giving us the satisfaction um, that was worthy of that amount of money. And if it wasn't, we just well, spent money. Well, and anything you spent money on, uh, you um, – oh, okay. I was, I was just going to say, you're, oh, no, no. I mean, anytime you would spend you, – anytime you would splurge on yourself, it was basically to try to create another income avenue for yourself. Yeah. You know, when we were in, um, when we were in Bend and we got my, my first big ever siphon filter bonus check or royalty check, which was a big one. And again, you're not too terribly far off in your guesses. Um, we said, okay, we're going to do something special. And, um, Jen decided, I'm going to get a greenhouse. 
So she got herself a big, gigantic, a super big really trailer sized greenhouse, yep. but not just so that she could love and enjoy it, but so that she could start another business actually raising scented geraniums and selling them to local restaurants so they could have scented a garden or salad garnish or something like that. Yeah, there was that. Yeah. Um, you know, so Jen tends, even when she's splurging on herself, she's doing it in a way that is an investment. And, you know, at the end of the day, that greenhouse, um, you know, it was, it was expensive, but she squeezed every dime she could out of it, yep. you know, as an example. Yeah. My, my, uh, battle cry used to be, is it tax deductible? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Because yep. then, again, you're saving 20% on whatever you're spending because it's a tax-deductible event. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Yeah. Let's see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultra Spartan, that's certainly not the case. We live comfortably. I mean... Uh, no, we live luxuriously. If you think about how kings and queens... Well, that's, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say, yeah. I mean, but that's true for, you know, the... 99%. Exactly, of yeah. Well, okay, no, 80% of the world, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but even so, running water, yeah. lights... Mm-hmm. Cars that work, but uh, but I mean, we wouldn't. I wouldn't say we live ultra. I mean, we live better now than we did in our early twenties when we were still in college, living in that apartment in on Lake City Way. Sure. Or do we? Actually, is that true? Okay. I never thought about that before. Is the quality of our life, luxury. the quality of the the luxury in our life, any different today or at any point over the last thirty years? Then when we were starving college students, renting, you know, we we were dating, we weren't married yet, we decided to move in together and get our first apartment on Lake City Way. It was a crazy cheap apartment, not in a bad neighborhood, but not the greatest neighborhood. Yeah, it was what we could barely afford. The yes, there was a strip club uh, literally across the street. And a cemetery right next to us. Um, yeah, so very charming. Yeah, so it, um was our life any more or less luxurious at any point? I don't think so. I'm going to say in a couple of ways, yes. Which right ways? Now we have more luxury than we, we, we did. One, we have cars that work. <laughs> we no, your Celica, until I ran it into the ground, it, it was pretty reliable. Well, I always worried about cars breaking. And I just, I, what I want from life is a car that works. I'm sorry. Are you looking at that rust bucket right out the window? We, I would say that thing is not. Too, you know, our Micra is not too far removed from your Celica, in terms of reliability at this point. Well, that's it's not its fault that we live right next to the sea and it rusts. Yes, I know. But I'm, I'm saying it's the same end result. <clears throat> I mean, there are other cars that are parked right in front of this building that are in much better repair than ours. Yeah, but they're not ten years old. Mm-hmm. Yes, because we've driven that car into the ground. We haven't driven. We have. We drove it across I the entire, care of all of Europe anyway. to get here. And now we leave it rusting in the sun. That's true. We do leave it rusting <laughs> in the sun. So I would say that would be one of the luxuries is that I am not willing to put up with a car that doesn't run. If that something happens to our car, I get it fixed. Yeah. But that was true when we were in our 20s as well. Yeah, but it was very stressful. We had, I can remember driving sluggy over to your dad and... Being afraid to pull over or stop the car that it would not start again. That's a good point. I forgot about Sluggy. What was that? What was that car? God, it was orange. Yeah. It was, orange. <laughs> it was some weird 70s reject car oh, that we got for like five or 600 Your bucks. Dad had bought it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave it to and, us when one of our cars had finally... Well, no, we bought it from him for, for cheap, basically. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, poor Sluggy. Yeah. Good old Sluggy. <clears throat> so, okay, yeah. So, fair enough. Now- Cars. Anything else? Um, compare this to um, Lake City Way. We have a nice flat screen TV instead of a tube. 
I, and this is what this is a. I mean, we don't even have a luxurious TV. I'm looking at what was this is a this is a thirty. This is a twenty seven, a twenty nine. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, we we don't even have a super big screen TV. We that's not true. We do. We have a projection TV, but we were super crazy frugal with this projection TV. I got an insane deal on this screen and on the projector, and at the end, and you know, and it's maintenance to keep this thing up rather than just you know paying through the nose to have some big fifty or sixty inch TV. Okay. You know, I mean, so, I mean, I wouldn't say the quality of our TV is any better than what we had when we were in our twenties. Well, I mean, technology's moved on. Yeah, but I mean, in terms of, you know, it's the same basic idea. Yeah, I don't think anybody driving by looking in the window would go, oh my God, we've got to steal that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to put it. Um, and, I mean, I, I, you know, and back then, I mean, my one big indulgence was, you know, I remember when we were in Lake City, our budget allowed me to buy one video game a month um, before I went to work for Nintendo. Yeah. If I recall correctly, because then I got discounts on Nintendo games, and I and of course I could play anything I want. I just brought it from the library. I brought it home. Ooh, I've just thought of something that's oh a luxury. another luxury that we have. Yeah. Okay. So last year, yes. around this time, we bought a dryer. Yeah. Which is not a standard thing in Europe, and definitely not in Malta, because it's warm enough here that most days you can dry your yeah. clothes outside on the line. But we've always, had, other than when we first moved to Malta, we've always had a dryer. What do you mean? Well, we've been here four years. Last year we bought a dryer. Oh, oh, you're okay. I'm sorry. You're not comparing contrasting our 20s to now. No. You're using that as an example of how we live frugally. No, I'm saying that that is a luxury that I've decided is worth the money. No, well, see, I look at that as an example of, um, you know, it, it, it's coming here where dryers are not the norm. Right. Um, it was a big adjustment for us, but we decided, yeah, we're not going to go out and buy a dryer. We waited four years before we eventually bought a dryer instead of just saying, let's just buy a dryer because it's really kind of annoying to have to hang dry all our clothes. Well, I would point to that as an example of, I mean, again, it's, we're not living spartanly, right. but um, if, you know, when we were living in Texas, we wouldn't have thought, well, of course we need a dryer. Yeah, well, there's no, remember you were living in the apartment in Texas before I moved down there and we moved into the house and we got you a washer and dryer for the flat, the apartment that you were renting. Did we? Yes. Are you sure? Yes, we did it on our anniversary, remember? Ah, yes. Anyway, um, yeah, we could go on about this forever, but there's a lot more questions. So, okay. continuing on, are you living on investment income? Are you spending your savings, adding to them, keeping them the same? Ah, we are living on, I think, rental income. Yeah, it's almost entirely. I mean, um, you know, there's, we've got a nice nest egg that we can't touch until we're retirement age. Yeah, because it's all in those... So a big thing, actually this is really kind of crucial to Jen's plan, mm. is the fact that we are not living in such a way that we can retire forever and for all time. We are. You, you set up the system back when we were thinking about it in Guilford as a bridge to get to you know, you know our, 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 our 401ks and our whatever all those things are that we've been investing to since we were in our 20s. Yeah. So that's something to bear in mind as well. Yeah. That you do have, you know, you know, it, it, yeah. There's, there's money set aside for our daughtering age. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But for, so for right now, but I mean, in theory, if we just continue living the way we are right now, mm -hmm. when we start being able to access those funds, are we going to need to actually? Yeah. Yeah. And my plan does not even take into account Social Security because it that's may, true. It may yeah. Not be there, but I'm not counting on it. Mm -hmm. There may we, there may be means testing. Who knows what? Yep. Uh, next up, have you accounted for inflation? How um, have you made sure that the income you have now will be sufficient uh, for a good quality of life in 30 or 40 years? Well, part of it is I'm not counting on Social Security. So if that kicks in at all, that's a cherry on top. 
Um, and otherwise, we have rental houses, which in theory will increase their rent on a you know going forward basis. That's kind of one hedge. And but I mean, you have put inflation into your equations. Well, I mean, I've I've seen yeah. the yeah, Quicken does that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and it, it all comes down to spending less than what's coming in, which. Mm. Bottom line, we do. We do not spend everything we make. How are you managing for health care costs? Ah. Are you paying for medical insurance? No. Do you have the budget to increase your payments consistent with the continual increases in medical insurance? No. Answer, we live in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. We One of the reasons citizens. we live in Europe. One of the reasons it was so important and in the darkest hours mm. of, of working at Lionhead on Fable or whatnot was I got to do my eight years. If I can do my eight years of indentured servitude so we can get our citizenship in the five UK. Years. Five years. Well, no, no, it's, I mean, to get. We, we had to get the indefinite leave to remain and then we had to do the citizenship stuff, which started at five years. Well, yeah, no, we, we had to get five years, but then we had to. My understanding is people can't, people don't get. Citizenship in the UK at five years work. No, well, I got it, and you don't get it at all anymore because um, you know the Tories have have shut down. We were lucky to get in when we did, but no, it was eight years. Well, I'm, I'm saying eight years total. Yes, yeah. but you had. I think it started. The process started. Oh yeah, yeah. No, all I care about is the end of the day. Um, <laughs> we did our eight years, and it was so important to Jen. Um, because she was always thinking long term. Of she wanted to have the safety net of the NHS. Now, of course. Who can save that safety tent is gonna stick around, mm. um, uh, you know. But but even so, the UK will never be like the US as far as healthcare costs. Yeah, it's just uh, you know the reason that health the US is like it is it you know goes back to you know the the war years and all that and um, so no, it's one of the reasons we are European citizens and hope to remain so in spite of what Brexiters might want to do. Righty. So, um, was the retirement plan contingent on living in a place with much lower cost of living than the U.S.? Um, possibly. I'm guessing Michael is a United States citizen. Yeah, but there's lots of places you can live in the U.S. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, totally. I mean, we seriously considered. Yeah. Although, I mean, but that was a big thing about moving back to the U.S. was the potential of of healthcare costs. Um, obviously we're both very healthy. It's not really that much of an issue for us, but we can't just live that way. You have to be prepared. You have to be covered. You have an accident. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, if it weren't for the healthcare, I mean, I, I, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I did actually, when, um, you know, when healthcare.gov was finally working, I did go on and I did do the searches using, I think I used, I forget if I used our Texas address or our, Washington address. And I looked at, went through the process and found, okay, yeah, we could, you know, the, we at our income level, um, which is very, very low, um, we would have qualified for the subsidies. That means that we would have to pay a ridiculously small amount of money, like 50 bucks a month, 70 bucks a month, something mm-hmm. like that is what we would have to pay if we'd gone back. And even with everybody, you know, doing all their scaremongering about, oh my God, the subsidy, you know, the costs are going to go up 25% next year. Yes, they are. But so are the subsidies. So, um, you know, still, if you're a low income, which we'd be, I mean, Obamacare, from what I've seen, it should cover us. We, we should be able to. Mm-hmm. We have never decided to put that to the test. And bear in mind, we made all these plans and we put this action into place long before, um, you know, uh, Obamacare was actually ratified because it looked like for the longest time it never would. But um, from what research we've done into it, we should be, it should be a viable option for us if we were to move back. Right. With the government subsidies that are available. Okay. Um, Jen's never really looked into it, but I did because for a while we were 
well, yeah, anyway. Um, anything else about the, uh, no, yeah, oh, yeah, back to the cost of living. I mean, just, there are so many insanely cheap places to live in America. Yeah. Incredibly cheap. Um, what was the website you always used to use? You, oh, oh. Well, there's lots of them. There's lots of realtor websites that basically let you do searches across the entire nation with, you know, specific price points and specific amenities that are required. And you can do those and you can find places for 500 bucks, 300 bucks a month that are relatively palatial if you have the entirety of the contiguous United States to choose from. Yep. And also, I know a lot of people want to live in the cities because that's where the jobs are, but if if you can do something that is not tying you down to a specific location, you can totally live cheap. Yep. So that was it for Michael's questions. He ended again. Um, he realizes that every single one of these questions would normally be considered hugely rude. So again, <laughs> feel free to ignore. But Michael, I read them as I go. I didn't read that till right now. We can ignore everything, honey. Yep. Ignore it all. all. All you people just forget you heard us say. All righty. Um, moving on to Larry, who asked some other questions. But now, let's see. He had per- oh, yeah, he had one. Um, have I ever acted or performed on stage? Maybe back in high school oh. or college. What about Jen? Though I kind of doubt it. Mm-hmm. So apparently he's made uh, assumptions about both he and you. Yes, I... Um, did in fact in all honesty when i was in high school um from nine to like 13 14 i was homeschooled i don't those might not be the exact ages but during that time i okay from four to nine i was you know growing up in night's landing california i was a very gregarious outgoing kid i was into sports i was had really good grades i would have been one of those valedictorian um you know captain of the of the basketball team kids you know in high school that's who i was going to be but then at nine my family and i we moved um onto a boat and for the next five years or so i was homeschooled and that radically changed me or my trajectory i became very quiet insular withdrawn i was a geek i was a nerd i was heavy into computers i was heavy into D, although i had no one to play with and to this day i've never played dungeons and dragons so sad even though i spent so many times making maps and imagining that i was a dungeon master oh so sad um but uh by the time we moved off the boat and I ended up at in Belfair, Washington in high school, one year behind, because when, you know, as a freshman in high school, everybody else was 14, I was 15, um, because my homeschool, anyway, uh, I was still a very quiet, shy kid. Um, you know, I walked around school with a hoodie long before hoodies were cool. Um, back when it meant you were a quiet, shy, loner, Unabomber type, just listening to music on my Walkman all the time. Um, you know, Beatles nonstop. And, uh, you know, and that's the trajectory I was on, but I was, I've always been very sarcastic and, uh, and uppity, I guess. And I remember there was this one time in honors English where this girl, Jamie Harris, who I really, really liked, but I was, I was such a withdrawn nerd. I could never actually even think about asking her out, but she was getting picked on by uh, an upperclassman. We were sophomores and he was a senior and I just turned around in front of the entire class and completely shredded him, just made fun of him and talked circles around him and there was nothing he could do about it. Um, and that, uh, you know, and then I just went back to being shy, quiet. Everybody's like, whoa, that kid, he never, the kid with the Opus shirts, you know, I wore Bloom County t-shirts. I was a total nerd, but I, I just, I just ripped into him, you know, in like a, 
and like in, in a very Sorkin-esque way. And I was very clever and witty. And there was another senior who saw that and said, okay, I've got to have this guy in my next play because he was the drama kid and he directed all the plays. And so I got called to the principal's office one time, which made no sense to me because I was a model student and I didn't know why. And then I find out Robin had arranged it to um, get me to, they knew I wouldn't want to do this play, but they were going to make me do this play. And so I kind of got peer pressured into it by the principal. And so overnight, I had to kind of develop that, you know, that this, this kind of fast talking always has something to say, always joking around persona. That is, that is who I am right now. This is me right now doing that. It's something I developed as a defense mechanism in high school because I was suddenly thrust onto center stage in the lead role of the stranger which was the senior play that year, which they put me in as a... Maybe I was a junior at that point. No, I think I was a sophomore, whatever. I was very tall. Um, and so suddenly, I mean, everybody knew who I was, and it was a very well-received performance, and all, everybody in school saw it. And so overnight, I became this kind of popular kid again. But... In my inside me, I was not the popular kid. I was still very shy, very withdrawn, was really not drawn to social circles, was really incredibly uncomfortable. And so that has been the weird dichotomy of my life ever since. But, um, you know, that's, you know, Jen knows the real me in a way that very, very few people do. And um, what you think of me from watching my show is not the real me. It is just, well, I guess it's a facet of me. You know, it's obviously it's something that I've been doing now professionally as a video game designer, i.e. head cheerleader for decades. So, um, but yeah, I did a lot. I, I did that. And I think I did two more. I did um, two more school plays. I did a community play. And um, and then I did a little bit of stuff in college. But by the time, but when I got to college, when I got to University of Washington, I wrote, oh, nobody knows me. I don't have to keep up this whole persona thing. I can just go back to being quiet and shy and withdrawn and people will leave me alone. And then right at the cusp, right when I was about to shrink back into my own little shell, I met Jen. And, um, and, and I, and I gave Jen the same patter, you know, the, the, the same run, you know, the, you know, the, the fast talking guy, because it's just, it was, it was habit by that point. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, and, and, and yeah, and Jen fell for it. <laughs> and, uh, and oh, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for Jen. So yeah, that's, I, that's a, neither here nor there kind of thing. But yeah, so yeah, I, I did a lot of stage performance. Um, also, when I was in high school, I was trained as a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman because at one point, I think when I was a junior, my dad said, okay, you it was summer, you are leaving this house and you are not coming home tonight unless you have a job. Because uh, he was just, um, you know, he wanted to make sure because I, I hadn't really had a real full-time job. And what did I get? I went out and got, I answered an ad and got a job as a vacuum cleaner salesman. And it was, you know, and obviously it was a stupid job. It was a terrible thing. But my parents were actually happy for me to do it because I ended up getting a month's worth, eight hours a day during that summer of training of how to do hardcore in-your-face sales tactics. Um, and my parents were actually happy. Oh, I don't care if they make a dime. They, they just wanted me to learn how to do this, mostly to be prepared to protect myself from it. Um, so they thought it was really, really useful. And so I went through all of that. And so that at the same time that I was doing all these plays and I was developing this outgoing persona where I could sell ice to Eskimos and all that sort of thing, and, you know, uh, all of that kind of comes together. And then my first job when I was in college was phone work at Nintendo as a customer service rep. So that was like another two or three years of practice of dealing with people and communicating with people and getting um, them on side with you and all that stuff. So yeah, that's uh, all these weird stew of stuff really kind of defines who I am now, or at least defines 
Again, my stage persona. Honey Pie, I don't believe you have done any acting. I, I think you did, like, backstage stuff, if I recall correctly, no, right? I just, I was, a, like, an extra kind of a thing on, yeah. on a play. Yeah. And that's it? That's it. All right. Well, the, but no, she was a cheerleader. Yeah. You were a, you were a drill squad, and then you were a cheerleader for all four years of high school, were you not? That's certainly public performance. Mm. So what's that all about? Yeah. Well, oh, what is it about? Yeah. It's just wanting to do the American Girl's Dream thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, I was always self-motivated, and I, I remember being, the other girls didn't want to do posters and, you know, all the stuff that you had to do when you were a cheerleader for the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff. So I would just go and make the posters myself and put them on the team's lockers and, <laughs> and whatever while they were out doing whatever they were doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've always been a bit of a self-starter. Yep. A get-it-done kind of gal. Okay. Um, Jason says, hey, I get the sense that Rod Runster has become a bit of a chore-slash-job for you lately, and I'm curious if you've been approached by publishers-slash-larger companies looking to hire you, basically letting um, you do some of what you do now. Um, let's see. Uh, yes, actually. Several have. Um, it's oh, that's ironic. Before I started Rotto Runs Through, after I quit the video game industry, and I was done because Disney burned me way too hard. Um, you know, ripped my dream out from under me. Oh man, that game is going to be so amazing. But anyway, after that, uh, you know, and I came and okay, we're going to try retirement. Jen was really worried because the numbers kind of worked, but she didn't really believe they worked. Um, there was a long shot they would work, and uh, at that point. I did actually apply for a technical writing job at Fantasy Flight Games in Minnesota. I sent in my uh, resume. I thought it looked really good, and they never replied. Oh, oh. that's you know. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't know if we would have actually made that move, but it was certainly something we could have considered. Um, you know. But anyway, that was neither here nor there. Uh, since then, yes, other publishers have um, wanted me to come on. You know, uh, in in ways that you have seen. Other folks come on board and be official representatives of companies and whatnot. And I've just consistently said no. I've said no every single time. They've asked me to come on as, you know, being frontmen for the companies, being professional demo guys, being professional community managers, being professional game developers, you know, because I do have a pretty good design sense and I could finish games off that, you know, other designers brought. Pretty much every job under the sun and I've pretty much just said no every single time. It's very flattering, but I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. Um, I'm, I'm just done. Working for the man, whoever that man might be. Uh, let's see. And uh, let's see. Uh, would you be open to that when you end up wanting to move from Malta? Um, or could that be a draw to have you move elsewhere, back to the Pacific Northwest? Or um, a, an area in the States or the UK that you'd love to move to? Um, uh, in, in short, is there a can't-miss job you would accept? Something in New Zealand would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, tell Shem Phillips if he needs somebody, if he wants to pay to move me and Jen down there so I can help him with his North Sea Trilogy Part 2, <laughs> I guess there's a possibility because uh, New Zealand is high, 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 high on Jen's in my list. Um, or if Weta decided to actually, I, now we're repeating what we talked about earlier, I mean, that would be a potential thing. Um but that's it. That's all you can think of. Um, I and that's easy. That's that's Jen writing checks for me to cash. By the way, yeah, I think it's really you have to be excited about something, and then I decide if that's good for us. Yeah, I don't know. Rather than me deciding it's good for you, and we're, this is what we're doing. <laughs> 
You've, you've put in your time. Yeah, I have put in a lot of time. Um, let's see. So I guess that answers that. And then back to Wailing. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Apologies. Uh... Have you ever heard of the video game Dwarf Fortress? What are your thoughts? The sheer audacity and brilliance of this game flattens me. I've never heard of it, but if I could get online, uh, internet check, we are still offline now. I don't know how many hours it's been. Uh, this is a bit out of the ordinary for Malta, but um, no, I haven't heard of it. But you've you've uh, piqued my interest. What are your thoughts on Counter-Strike, Overwatch, League of Legends, and the competitive video game industry? Do you think competitive gaming could grow as big as athletic sports? Uh, no. You know, I want to say yes, but, I mean, that's really underplaying just how big professional athletic sports is. I mean, professional athletic sports, that is so... That goes so far beyond geek culture. Now... Geek culture is taking over the world. I mean, the biggest movies in the universe now are superhero movies, which was unthinkable 20 years ago. So is it unthinkable 20 years from now that League of Legends could be as big as the NFL? Well, again, think back to, think back to the Batman movies in the 80s. If somebody had said, hey, you know what? Um, every, from now on, every movie, the biggest movie every year is going to be fantastic, or, you know, X-Men and Spider-Man and all that. Um, you know, would you have believed it? So, I mean, I guess anything's possible. Anything's possible, I suppose. Um, culture is a funny thing. It changes all the time. I think there's something about the arena with professional sports that you probably won't be getting seeing people play across virtual. The well, yeah, I mean, that gets back to the question of, you know, the difference between video games and board games, that, that real human personal touch. Although, I mean, I mean, I mean, plenty of people are addicted to the NFL and never go down to the stadium. Yeah, but they're watching flesh to flesh competition. Yeah, but you're, well, Jen says no. Well, I'm just saying. She did. Yeah. She rejects your virtual future. The Romans and, yeah. Well yeah. The Mayans. How do I get those super convenient domain names? Podcast.rado.com, FAQ.rado.com, Guild.rado.com. Actually, I just have Rado.com, and um, I just uh, the oh, who is it? Um, I can't see. I can't look it up online. I can't see who my service provider is. Um, I want to say it's like Easy Name or Name Easy or something like that. The reason I have Rado.com, I didn't have it. Actually, that's not true. Jen got it for me years ago. Yep. And I was like, I don't know, I don't, what do I need this for? Present. Yeah, as a birthday present even. Look, you should have this. This is really awesome. I mean, you know how lucky you are to get this. Like, what am I going to do with this? This is back when I was still working in, in video games. Yeah, it was, it was back in Bend? Yeah. So Jen got that a bajillion years ago. Um, and I never used it, and we let it lapse. And then some squatter took it. Well, and, some guy who wanted it. Right. No, no, some squatter took it. It was never used. It was never did anything with it. You ever went to, or all those years, you went to Rado.com, you just saw, hey, if you're interested in buying this. Okay. Um, and then, after Rado took off, and, you know, and, and my, 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 uh, my only URL was youtube.com slash Rado, which was good enough for me, quite frankly, I got an email out of the blue from the person who owned Rado.com. And said, hey, um, I don't really play board games, but I was curious about this because I, I own the domain. Because he, you know, he just bought it blanket when it became available because that's what they do. They figure, oh, somebody took this and it went it went empty? Buy it. Who cares? Because there's a chance, a one in a thousand chance, they'll want to buy it back from you in the future. It, it, this was the guy who did that. And he, he was just curious about it. He watched my channel and said, 
wow, board games are really cool. He got into board games and then said, you know what, as a thank you for that, because I love them so much, I want to give you your domain back. And so he just gave it to me out of the blue. Um, so it was a really crazy story. Um, you know, it's the power of board games that made it happen. And so now, as long as we continue to pay whatever it is, the whatever you have to pay, which I will now do, I can have whatever I want, .rado.com. <laughs> but it was really crazy that that happened. All right, if I had to choose, um, what are the most memorable 30 minutes of my life? Wow. The most memorable 30 minutes of your life, honey pie. Go. Oh, you at least got to read it. You know what, folks? Um... Let's, uh, we, we've still got a few more questions. Not very many. There's this one, um, and then there's two more folks. I'm gonna think about that for a little bit. Plus, I am thirsty as all get out. Um, so we'll be back in just a mo. Okay, everybody. Welcome back. The last few personal questions of this podcast are upon us. And we had just left off with the most memorable 30 minutes of our lives. And, might be the last 30 minutes I just spent trying to figure out what the most memorable was, because that's a tough, tough question. I mean, it's so easy to just talk about, you know, a time in your life, you know, or you know, broadly an event, but, you know, 30 distinct minutes. That's very, very tough. Um, but, you know what, I don't think I'm going to answer that quite yet, because I think that's a really good one to end on. Jen and I, we both talk, thought about it. We haven't talked about it at all. I have no idea what Jen's going to say. She has no idea what I'm going to say, but we'll come back to that in a second. Let's just hit Rose and Jordan's questions, and then we'll come back to that big one. So, Rose asks, what are your plans to retire from or take a break from auto runs through so that you don't drive Jen nuts? Bless you. Wow. I'm I'm interested in that as well. I don't know. I think I'm pretty easy to live with. Pregnant pause. (laughs) (laughs) There's 30 minutes of unforgettable. (laughs) Well, she just stares at me and blinks. No, I ask you that question all the time. Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I know it's unthinkable. To a lot of people, not just Jen. I mean, Peter Molyneux always used to, when I used to tell him I can't wait to retire, he'd say, oh, you're insane. You're just like me. You're a workaholic. I'm like, no, I'm totally not. Um, I do not need to work to feel that my life has work or has worth and meaning. Um, you know, I don't, I don't need that to fulfill myself. I am more than happy to live a life of luxury, just consuming. Um, honestly, to me, that's, my own personal highest calling, just entertain, being entertained. Yeah. And there is and when you a million. Assuming that's that means something different to you and me, I think, than to a lot of people. Um, how do you mean? Well, I think most people think of consumption as going out and buying stuff, or going out and using stuff up, or going out and like. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, no, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, consuming entertainment. I mean, I, there are a million lifetimes worth of books. I will never, no matter how long I live, have enough time to read every book I would want to read or watch every TV show or watch every movie or play every game or, you know, visit every location. I mean, I just... Yeah, I mean, just the travel alone. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I'd say, you know, so um, my own personal self-worth mm-hmm. is derived by how much fun I have. Um, and by how much fun actually Jen has. I was going to say how much I can enrich the lives of others, but at this point, I've, there's really only one other life I'm particularly concerned about enriching. <laughs> actually, that's not entirely. I mean, I, I want to make sure my mom is happy and stuff like that as well. You but also spent a hell, heck of a lot of time online trying to 
make sense of things. <laughs> what is, how do you mean? You are the. We saw that show a long time ago, Newsroom, and the guy was on a mission to civilize. And I, <laughs> you internalized that, and you have spent a lot of time. Yeah, but I need to stop doing that. That just drives me nuts. I know, but nonetheless, you still do it. So you do care about a lot of people's lives. Uh, yeah, but it's it's not it's not it's not healthy for me. Um, but anyway, yeah. So no, I mean, if I wasn't doing Rotto Runs Through full time, I mean, I'd hope I'd still be playing a bunch of games. I'd be fulfilling my lifelong goal of reading more, which is I to me like the greatest irony of my life. I grew up just. Re- I, mean, I was talking earlier about how I was so shy and introverted. I should have said bookworm. I was like the ultimate bookworm. And when 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 Jen and I met in college, and I was reverting to true form. I loved reading so much I would rent books because I couldn't afford to buy them and I didn't want to wait for them to be available in the public library. So there was an actual bookstore that would rent the latest big blockbusters um, you know, because I just loved reading so much. But I haven't read regularly in decades. And you know, I always thought, oh, when I retire, I'll finally start reading again. Well, I did. I read instruction manuals now for board games because there's just not enough time to read. So, I mean, that's a big, lifelong, it's silly, it's a dream. I mean, you, you got to make the time to do it, but I don't know, I still have a job. I'm going to buzz right down to it. Do you have anything to add to, to Rose's question, honey? What was Rose's question? Um, what are my plans to take a break from or retire from Rotto Runs Through such that I do not drive you nuts? Well, I don't, I don't know that you really answered her question. Well, no. I mean, well, I hopefully it, me reading more doesn't drive you nuts. Oh, that definitely doesn't drive me nuts. No, that'd be <laughs> lovely. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Plus, Jen is a voracious reader too. I mean, she. I mean, just yeah, bottomless um, word pit. I mean, how? I mean, she reads books so fast and so many. I mean, she just and I and I know it bugs her that I don't. I mean, I, I know that there are plenty of times where she wishes I would then read the book so she'd have somebody to talk to about it. Yep. That would be really nice. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Especially because I'm reading some really interesting books. And, but anyway. Anyway. That'll happen. Yep, yep. Uh, and then Jordan asks, Daisy. My wife and I are traveling to the UK in November and December to look for some cities to potentially live in. Um, we, uh, they're coming from Canada looking to live abroad. Uh, what are or were the most difficult things adjusting to UK life? Was there anything you didn't realize you took for granted until you were there? Any advice for making a smooth transition to life in the UK? Well, I wouldn't bring your car over. <laughs> we did bring our car over. Yeah. That was more trouble than it was worth. It was a lot more trouble, and you have to get it... Um, hey, right. Daisy. She's just going to have to go look at them. Okay. Um, you so. have to adjust it to UK road standards, so it's a bit of a hassle, and you're probably just better off selling your car where you are and buying a new one when you get there, or you know, buy a new to you or whatever kind of car. Or maybe not, if you live somewhere, you don't need a car. Public transportation in the UK is great. Um, let's see, what did I, what, what would I, do you have any, the bureaucracy is bureaucracy everywhere. It's just, that's, ugh, bleh. That's one reason I can't think about moving from Malta again, is I just can't bear the thought of all the bureaucracy you have to go through every time you leave the country. Um, so that's a hassle, but it might not be so bad for you because Canada and the UK are much different than the US and the UK. Uh, in fact, you get to keep your driver's license. We had to take the full um, test and everything and get British driver's licenses. Uh, but that's for US citizens. Let's see what else. Um, 
Can you think of anything? Well, I mean, I'm surprised. I mean, the, the most obvious thing, the thing we always talk about to anybody who ever asked this question is adjust your expectations in terms of customer service. Yeah. And I don't mean just necessarily being able to call somebody for tech support on the phone. I mean stores being open, uh, sales staff being helpful, you know, people, you know, people who obsessively want your money, but sir, don't seem to act like it. Yeah. Sir, go out of their way to try to make sure, well, you're making it very, very difficult for me to give you my money in exchange for services and goods here. Yeah. It's just absolutely amazing to me. And part of it is kind of just a British culture thing. You know, mustn't grumble. You know, don't complain. Just, um, you know, just be polite, stand in queue properly and, you know, wait your turn. But, you know, the difference between shopping in America, well, again, I'm, I can't speak to Canada. I've only been to Canada a few times, but I, I suspect there'd be a, a similar kind of readjustment to uh, a more reserved approach to commerce. Uh, you know, places nowhere, no, I mean, I remember, God, what was it? What happened on that Sunday night when we were living on Wayside and we needed something? It was an emergency. And I remember I ended up taking my cell phone and driving all over Woking, every place in Woking, on a Sunday evening trying to find something. I don't remember what it was, but I had to go out and get it. Was it peroxide to make the dog throw up? Because no. I can't believe you don't remember this. I don't remember. Apparently it didn't make your 30-minute most memorable thing in your life. <laughs> it was pretty high tester. But, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, I mean everything's closed. Uh, you know, the hours that you expect places to be open... They just don't adhere to that. I mean, a lot of stuff closes on Sunday entirely or certainly closes early. Things don't stay open late. And again, yeah, customer service is just much more direct and blunt. And um, in some ways, that's good. I mean, you certainly will never go into a store and feel that pressure of, you know, five clerks descend on you and say, oh, can I help you? Can I do anything? Nope. They don't give a damn if you're there or not. They don't really care. And um, you'll have to go out of your way to try to get them to help you. You know, so it, it's, it's kind of, it's a very weird adjustment period. That will always struck me. And then the complete and total lack of choice, which, you know, Jen and I have now become very, very accustomed to. And so we're probably taken aback as much as any European when we go back to America and go to a grocery store. Yeah, but the complete and total lack of options in anything is. It has gotten better. Well, yeah, but it's still, I mean, it, it's night and day. It, it, it is an adjustment. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I don't say it is a bad thing because it's not like we need to live a life where we have 5,000 different choices of toilet paper. We don't need 5,000. We don't need 500. We don't need five. Um, you know, and actually now I'm thinking more about Malta where you're lucky if you get two <laughs> or three choices. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, as... You know, we, we keep making these weird moves. We go from America, the land of plenty. I mean, tons of opportunity, tons of everything. We go to England where everything cuts down to 50% and it's a smaller island. Now we go to an even smaller island where it just gets even worse. But, I mean, those were always the things that were weirdest to me. You just can't get what you want. You know, or it's a struggle to find. Yeah, it's, it's a struggle to get what you need. Yeah. You got anything else? Um, I think that is that, that probably is it. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy. Pause it, would you? Okay, Daisy disaster averted. I don't know what it is with these folks. There are, is it just this one group? Yeah, this. There aren't other people who do this? There are people who, um, throughout the year, just drive up, park in front of our flat, and just sit and look out at the ocean for hours. Yep. That's all they do. They just sit there. And we don't know why. (laughs) And they, they just come, and then eventually they go. 
Yep. It's not like they seem to be waiting for somebody. No, and it's not like we've got the best view. There are no, lots there's... of places nearby that they could park and get a much better view. They're, they're stunning. They could go out on the plank. I mean, there's, but they, this is where they, and I, I think this was Daisy's first experience with them. So yep. they're just sitting there, and she was not going to let that go. But she has finally calmed down, and we can get back to Jordan. Although, Jordan, I don't really think we had much more to add about adjusting to life in the U.K. I'm sure there's plenty of good websites for that sort of stuff, but mm. that was certainly the main thing that we noticed. Was, well, I don't know. Did you have anything more to add? No. All right. Then we can avoid it no longer. Last question from Wei Liang or Wei Liang. Wei Liang. Honey. Oh, wait. No, that's right. I have to answer first. So that means you're last. We're ending the podcast on you. You sure you don't want to go first? We'll just keep chatting. Okay. That question again. If we had to choose, what's the most memorable 30 minutes of your life? So, like I started talking about it earlier. It's, I mean, I just want to say, oh, this one trip was really incredible. But no, that's not a, a distinct 30-minute chunk. Yep. That's hard. That's very difficult. That's very difficult because it's so easy to, oh, I mean, even a day. I remember that day. No, no, 30 minutes. So really spent a lot of time thinking about it. And the, the, the sad thing is the easiest answer for that, I mean, if I want to just be you know most memorable, it's just going to be a lot of really sad stuff. Um, like, you know, the day Scuttle died. Or 9-11. I mean, that was a very memorable 30 minutes. Um, But you know what? I'm not going to dwell on those because I'll start crying. So I'm not going to do that. So um, I put aside memorable for... I mean, they're implicitly memorable because of just like this really intense negative emotion. So we're going to leave those ones out. Actually, I have no idea if Jen's going to or not. Actually, those are the same kinds of things that occurred to me. Yeah, yeah, just immediately. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, it just completely seared into our memory forever. But I didn't want to do those. Um, so, and another one that occurred to me, I, I actually had several. I, I almost went with um, bungee jumping in Vegas. Yeah. I, um, because, That's pretty memorable. Because that was terrifying. So, I mean, it's, it's a negative emotion, but not in the same way. So I almost went with that, uh, cause the, the lead into it is at Circus Circus. Um, you know, it's still there. You can still do it. It, it was just so intense. And I, as the heaviest guy that was in the group who went up, I had to go first. <laughs> and, you know, there's this, this whole procedure and it took, it was about 30 minutes. We were up there all told, you know, from, from getting up there to me going, all the other people, and then you being the last person to go. That's a really good candidate. Yeah. But I ultimately decided to go with one for positive reasons, not for negative, either really sad or terrified. So, uh, another holiday one, I'm going to go with, um, cenote diving. Ah, yes. You remember that? One, yeah, um, of course I do. Yeah. I, um, was, that, was that in Cozumel? No, Cancun. Was it, it was in Cancun. Well, we it was did. when we were there for Dick's 60th yeah, birthday yeah. in Cancun. So cenote diving is basically cave diving yep. um, in Mexico, and we did this one. Jen and I, we've, do, we've done lots of scuba dives, but that one, um, you know, it was about probably 30 minutes or so, and it was absolutely amazing, and I still remember it very, I mean, all the things I experienced. I mean, it's it's the closest it'll ever come to like feeling like you're on another world. Um, you know, just floating in these underground things with the with the thermal layers. Yeah. Remember where you could physically it looked like you were swimming through a force field as you went from the cold water to the hot water and you could physically see the transition. Yep. Oh, you let her go. She's just gonna go start barking. Well, hopefully she'll just be good, Daisy. Daisy, hey. Oh, you shouldn't have let her go. She's just gonna All right, folks, we'll be right back again. Oh, Daisy, you're killing me. All righty. Right in the middle of a lovely memory. I know, yeah. Kind of uh, 
the, the spell is ruined, but it was really amazing. Um, yeah, the the thermal layers, the the tree. Yep. Remember the with the roots that yes. you know because we it was a, there was the yeah the, and, there, and the light was coming down from the roots into the and it was like the only thing that illuminated that that one room that was absolutely amazing. So plus and a bunch of the caves you could look up and you could see the air bubbles, but it looked like you were swimming under like bubbles of mercury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Because yep. of the way the light was reflecting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. You know, and 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 to be fair, it was scary. I mean, so that's another. It's a, you know, it was definitely a heightened experience yeah. because you know, there's no surface. You know, if something goes wrong. There's no, okay. We just can't swim up because yep. um, there's just nowhere to go. And uh, but yeah, you know, but it, it all went fine. It was absolutely amazing. So I, that's going to be my number one. That's my thirty most memorable minutes that aren't really from some terrible, horrible um, event. <laughs> okay. And so, honey, now you get to end this podcast while we try to keep her from squirming away. Okay. She's a little bit of a squirmer. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, actually, I was going to break the rules because I can't come up with 30 solid minutes. Oh, you cheater! Well, there's so many wonderful and amazing things that you can remember, but they are actually, you know, a couple minutes here and a couple minutes there. So. So you're going to cheat. After, I, I just rattled off like four or five things. But anyway, oh, that says here what it is. Well. I just want to say, because we just recently went on a trip to Africa, yes. and one of the things that I found really amazing and uh, was we were probably maybe 15 feet away from this very large group of elephants, mm-hmm. and they were matriarchs, of course, um, with babies in the herd and everything, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they were crossing the road in front of us, like 15 feet away, and of course, we're in this huge jeep, and but as, as they were crossing, there was one sort of uh, protector of the group who kept looking at us, and she'd take a step, and she'd swing her head and her trunk around, and she'd look at us. And the rest of the group was kind of passing on her other side, and then she'd take another step, and she'd swing her head around, and she'd look at us. And it just couldn't have been any clearer, the communications between species, and how absolutely majestic they were, and how clear she was about, (laughs) don't come a step closer, do not make a move, don't bat an eyelash, this is my family, they're crossing safely here. If you do anything wrong, you know, there will be significant consequences. But to be that close to such a magnificent creature is something that is just totally seared into my brain. And I just think it's amazing that we got the opportunity to do that in the wild. You know, it wasn't any kind of a scripted thing or, um, anyway, so that, uh, that's going to be mine. It wasn't, it wasn't 30 minutes, but that whole day was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also saw, <laughs> a leopard being heckled by guinea fowl. And so these guinea fowl are just going as they're chasing this leopard. And there was probably a group of what, 20 guinea fowl? I would have said more like 50, I think. But yeah, but anyway. Well, they kind of, they come and they go. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they were just, they were just heckling this jaguar. It's like, there's no chance you're going to catch anything because we see you and we're going to make sure everybody in this vicinity knows that you are here. And so this poor jaguar was just kind of... Or a leopard. It was a leopard. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, leopard. Was just kind of trying to slink away and get away from these guinea fowl. And they were just running after him in this funny gait that these guinea fowl have. Um, And just... just, It was just... It was absolutely... And of course, we're all going, oh my gosh, it's a leopard! And we're all filming the leopard and taking pictures of the leopard. And and I'm watching the guinea fowl because I like... Um, but nobody actually videoed the heckling of this leopard. We've got a little bit, you know, like, because, of course, the guinea fowl are keeping probably, what, eight feet behind the yeah. leopard so as to not get swiped at and eaten. Uh, 
so we didn't actually get that on film, but it will stay in my memory because I just thought that is that is really cool. The power of being in a group. Okay, so you're combining those two into one 30-minute. If those two things had happened contiguously within 30 minutes as opposed to, I think they happened on the same they day. They were the same day. Yeah, so, yeah. all right. It was Africa time, so you know. Yeah. You can there you go, Africa time, much. yep. Uh, we were constantly reminded of the concept yeah. of Africa time this while we were Africa. there. This is Africa. This is Africa. This is Africa. So yep, I don't yep, expect yep. anything to be like you normally know would be. Yeah. So. All right, then. Um, fair enough. And that's it, folks. Q&A time is over. Daisy is absolutely going insane trying to get back to the window so she can protect us from these people who just like to stare at the ocean. <laughs> so we're going to have to go deal with that now. But thanks for listening if you made it this far. Uh, that's what happens when we have uh, two months with no Q&A, a whole bunch of Q&A. But hopefully um, folks enjoyed it. And again, as always, if you have any more questions, send them to questions at rotto.com. And otherwise, we will be back next month for more board gaming stuff and uh, more questions and answers. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.